This is Karen J. Lewis from Chicago Wilderness. You're listening to Q4 Radio Chicago, 1680 AM and at Q4.org. The Mike Novak Show starts at 3, 2, 1. Now it's time to go to our live remote man on the scene at the Pinedale Shopping Mall for the big WKRP turkey giveaway. So take it away, Les Nessman. This is Les Nessman, your man on the scene here at the Pinedale Shopping Center where the excitement is mounting. And I think I hear something now. Uh, uh, The crowd is moving out into the parking area. And, oh yes, I can see it now. It's a, it's a helicopter. And it's coming this way. What a sight, ladies and gentlemen, what a sight. The copter seems to be circling the parking area now. I guess it's looking for a place to land. No, something just came out of the back of the helicopter. It's uh, a dark object. Uh, perhaps a skydiver plumbing to, to the earth from only 2,000 feet into the air. There's no parachutes yet. shopping mall has just been bombed with live turkey. <laughs> Film at 11. As God is my witness, I thought turkeys could fly. Live from the Genesis Art Supply Building on North Elston Avenue, just this side of the concrete encrusted banks of the North Branch of the Chicago River, it's the Mike Novak Show. Still Chicago's only locally broadcast deep green gardening and environment program. Heard every Sunday on Q4 Radio and at MikeNovak.net. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. And true currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. He's not the most interesting man in the world, but he does stay thirsty. Here he is, Mike Novak. Who knows what's going on here? Testing. Hey, boy, yeah. Um, the week before Thanksgiving, this is when it all when all heck breaks loose in the holiday season. It's the holiday season. Da-da-da-da. Da-da-da-da. 
Um, and it starts uh, this Thursday and then um, leaves us what it basically do, the holiday season does. It knocks you down, throws you into the ditch. And then you wake up on January 3rd saying, what happened? What happened? And the sugar's worn off by then, And the too. sugar, well, yeah, that's right. And then, well, or you have a three-month sugar hangover. <laughs> or a three-month supply of cookies still uh, in the house. Exactly. So there, there, that's how all of that works. Um, but uh, welcome to the Mike Novak Show. That's uh, Peggy Malecki. I don't say it often enough. She is the uh, publisher of Natural Awakenings Magazine. Just came out with a... Recently, in a new issue, right? New December issue is at the printer. Oh, it's at the printer. At the printer, right and now. goes. Does it go out before Thanksgiving? It uh, shows up on Wednesday, so some people will be able to get it by Wednesday afternoon. Wow. And lots of good stuff in there, as always. You can get it in 1,100 locations throughout uh, McHenry, Lake, and Cook counties right here in Illinois. And uh, good. Uh, and she, of course, is the co-host of uh, this uh whatever we call it, at Pirate Radio. Arr! And Pirate Radio today is um, is schizoid. Well, first of all, we're trying to even make just make the headsets work properly. And, you know, someday I'm going to actually take a look at the, how this is set up. Nah. Yeah, that would just be... It's more fun to have headset roulette every week. Yeah, I guess. Level, but it sounds better than it did. Wait, I'm going to... How about this? Yeah? Well, no, I, I don't have uh, left channel. <laughs> That's one of the things that happened here. That's what I was trying to figure out and get both channels. But, hey, you know. Oh, that's a weird effect. What, what happened there? Did, okay. The right channel is going on and off and on and off. Uh, not mine. I'm just getting. Okay. Oh, there you are. Hello. Am I here? When did you get here? <laughs> I didn't. Uh, and uh, outside in the lobby, it's, it's 105 degrees. And inside in here, it's, it's 32. Uh, I, I'm sure that if we have our little bottles of water here that we'll have to break ice on them <laughs> to get to them. Actually, not quite that bad, but I'm keeping my coat on for now. And I know you got your sweater on, mm-hmm. so uh, there we go. Um, on the program today, and he's uh, sitting out there. He's probably asleep by now. In the lobby. It's just so warm out there. Yeah, if he nods off, we'll just go out and <laughs> kick him. Uh, that's uh, Mike McDonald. Um, uh, he's uh, with Mike McDonald Photography, oddly enough. Um, he's uh, an internationally published nature photographer, author, comedian. Maybe you'll do stand-up for us. Educator, public speaker, computer programmer, mathematician. You lost me there, mathematician. Uh, no. and, uh, and basically a nature guy because uh, he's gone out into the Chicago area. I interviewed him last year back when I was in the Internet, uh, the Intertubes wilderness Mike takes really cool photos. Yes, he does. And he knows all about natural areas in and around Chicago. Uh, and he has a book called My Journey into the Wilds of Chicago. And he is going to uh, start the show today. Um, it's uh, it's really a, a terrific book, and it would make an excellent holiday gift. So we're in – you know what? I think what we have to do next week uh, – we were going to do it in a couple of weeks, but I think next week I need to get my friend Michelle Byrne Walsh from Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, and she and I, back when I was on Gargantua Radio, used to do this thing, the good, the bad, the ugly, of holiday, horticultural holiday gift-giving. And I think we should do that. And then, because you do the magazine, and you get all these goofy things Mm -hmm. uh, that that you get pitched 
about at the magazine. You can bring in the health and wellness goofy uh, ideas. Um, you know, the ones that just make you hit delete, yeah. but don't delete them <laughs> okay. this week, okay? I'll go through my trash bin. Go through the trash bin and see what's there. Uh, and then we can see, uh, and then we can put together the show. So I'm gonna I'm gonna get a hold of Michelle and see if she's available for next Sunday. I've actually been getting pitched a lot of things for these really goofy pet products, things that you can buy for your dog. Oh yeah, uh, I'm sure you do. Now, what's got any that stick in your head right now? Most of them are pretty ridiculous. Yeah, well, ridiculous in what way? Um, just some very specialized. You can get this. Uh, thing for your dog's paws in the winter that to get things out from between their toes or something like that it's like <laughs> how about just using a towel there you go uh, and i bet like, there's a lot of dog there's a lot of doggy clothes out yes, there now doggy clothes lots of dog specialty food items yeah i remember um my grandmother my grandmother had a chihuahua it was, I don't like chihuahuas. Chihuahuas were really big in my family for a while. They were the dog for a while in my family. And that was my Busha. Mm-hmm. And, and Busha would, um, would uh, grab the kids and, you know, smother them to her bosom <laughs> and go, Busha, I love you. Busha, I love you. Spotty bogem. Spotty bogem. Busha, I love you. And then she would go after the Chihuahua with a broom. Tabaxi! Tabaxi! <laughs> so that was my... My schizoid grandmother. Did the Chihuahua understand Polish? Uh, I don't believe boxy is a actual word in okay. either English or <laughs> Polish. The boxy, the boxy. Uh, that was uh, the late great Busha. Uh, and uh, so, anyway, Mike McDonald starts the show. My journey into the wilds of Chicago. Uh, it's really, uh, as I said, it's, it's quite a remarkable book and. He will explain to us how we put it together. And and a year ago when I was, uh, as I said, I was uh, out there doing interviews and putting them together on my dining room table, um, I went out to his place and interviewed him uh, at his home. And and the book was just about to be published, and he was really tense about it. Uh, And I don't blame him because those things are difficult. You know, it's not only the writing, but it's got photos, and you've got to have all that correct color, contrast, cropping, as well as spelling and punctuation and that sort of thing. Um, the uh, full title of the book is My Journey into the Wilds of Chicago, A Celebration of Chicagoland, Startling Natural Wonders. So uh, he will be with us at 930. Then in the second hour, a continuing conversation, something we've been doing for several months here. And this version or this uh, iteration of it, I would say started at the beginning of September when we got a call from Kaida Muhammad, who runs the South Shore Farmers Market. Uh, this was back when the markets were still running. Um, as you know, this time of year, most of them are closed. Although, give me that, get that dinger out there. The Mike Novak Show has put together, as far as uh, you and I know, Peggy, mm-hmm. the only comprehensive list of indoor farmers markets for this winter. Thank you. Because uh, we started looking around. People said, hey, you've got to let us know about the indoor farmer's markets. Ha, I say. Ha. 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 You scoff. Uh, you scoff. We put it together uh, at MikeNovak.net, um, a team effort uh, among uh, Peggy and Kathleen and me. 
And uh, if you go to the home page and scroll down just a tiny bit, you'll see a box that says Winter Farmers Markets. You click on that link, and it will take you to the list that we've come up with so far. And here's what we want folks to do to help out with this. Um, we, we suspect it's not completely comprehensive at this point. And we want folks to send us lists of their farmer's markets that they know are running in the winter. I mean, we have a lot of stuff from Faith in Place, and we have from uh, other markets, including Andersonville, 61st Street, Glenwood, Pilsen, Green City Market, Logan Square, Plant Chicago, and some suburbs, and the National Farmer's Market Directory. But I'm betting that we could add even more. And you know what? If the trip ain't going to do the job, if the Sun-Times ain't going to do the job, we're going we're to do, gonna do we're going to do the job. Put it up there. So we've got a really pretty comprehensive list right now uh, at mikenovak.net. Uh, click on the link farmers mark winter farmers markets and it'll take you to that. And uh, Kathleen, if you're listening, we sent you a couple of editions this morning already. If you can put them up there, that would be cool. Uh, so th- that conversation in the second hour is about this the farmer's markets, and how and why some farmer's markets seem to do well, some farmer's markets seem not to do well, some of its location, some of its economy, some of its education. Some of its probably publicity. Publicity, all of the above. And so uh, we've got some folks in the studio, Elizabeth Lyon, who is the manager of Plant Chicago's uh, Farmer's Market in the back of the yards neighborhood at Plant Chicago. Uh, they have started their winter, winter indoor market. And at uh, Plant Chicago, they're the first Saturday of the month. All right, now i got to go back to the list. Oh, oh, no, 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 no. Open from 11 to 3. Okay, good. Um, the next one is December 3rd. So there you go. Uh, you can uh, always go there, and there are other places uh, as we have on the list. Uh, Alex Polterock, who's the founder of The Urban Canopy, will also be in the studio to uh, talk about the farmer's markets and, and how and why they do well and don't. They don't do well. Uh, we're hoping that um, Corey Chapman from the Experimental Station will be with us. We have his phone number. We're going to try to call him. Last time we tried to call him on the show, it, he didn't pick up. Yeah, so uh, he does the 61st Street Market. It's your last chance, Corey. I'm <laughs> just going to be really straight with you. It's your last chance. Um, and um, they, we will all talk about um, that issue. And uh, I actually had a chat with uh, with Kaida Muhammad yesterday. Um, she couldn't actually be on the show this morning, um, but uh, we... Um, she her, she's going to be with us in spirit and and um, helped us out and it's it's even possible that we will have some other folks uh, on the program to uh, talk talk about this. In fact, if you want to call or tweet, you should do that. You can um, uh, call three one two nine eight five seven eight three four. We don't give out the number very often because we don't frankly don't get a lot of phone calls. It's all right. Uh, but you're welcome to do that. We do get a lot of tweets, though. At Mike Now is the handle, and, and you can certainly be part of the conversation. 
there or on Facebook or even write to me, Mike at MikeNovak.net on uh, plain old email, Email. plain old email. Um, And I wanted to mention also that it's possible. Okay, where are we here? Boy, I can't even read my own stuff. Oh, Colleen Nichols. That's what I wanted to mention from the Illinois Farmers Market Association. It's possible she'll join in the conversation as well. kind of depends on on various factors. So that's the show. Rick DeMaio Weather, 1045. Uh, we're ha- always happy. Ask him. Uh, He's got a lot of explaining to do. Well, what? That it finally froze on, <laughs> yeah. the, on the 20th of November? It wasn't, but it wasn't even this nice, gentle no, frost. You it know what? Like, you had plenty of warning, lady. Okay. If this has been all coming the, for all a long time, all the herbs were brought in, I the geranium no, came in, no all sympathy, that came none, in. no sympathy. Although I did leave a hosta, not a hosta, a um, peace lily outside. Oops. Yeah, it's uh, it's at peace. It's at peace. You know, it might still be alive. It's probably still alive. It would just have to grow back from the base. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I already have more than I need in the house, and that's kind of how why I got left outside. It's like, oh yeah, do I need one more peace lily inside? But it was nice to be able to see the hostas this year actually get some color instead of just turn to mush about a month ago. Yeah, it's true. And then they collapsed. There you go. So, all right. So we got a, a few little things we want to talk about before we bring Mike McDonald in here. Um, you know, folks, I hope that some of you caught the food tank stuff on Wednesday. Uh, Peggy and I were at the food tank summit at the Gleacher Center in Chicago and we were live streaming on Facebook all morning long. That was an adventure <laughs> between not just for me, but for Peggy too, because do you want to try to even explain your end of it? I mean, they were, they turned the camera on me and I was interviewed and they were parading people there every, mm-hmm. like every two minutes. Somebody was 16 interviews. I think I did like 16 that. interviews yeah. in about five hours. Yeah. Okay. So. Uh, uh, and they would just, we'd finish one, uh, and clear. Okay. Bring in the next guest. Three, two, one, go. And, uh, that, that was that. And that we were stri- uh, streaming them live on Facebook, on my page on, did you get some? Yeah. On, they went up on natural awakenings. On natural awakenings. Too, yeah. And that was the thing. Peggy had to get, well, explain it. Explain how that worked with the Tom there at Food Tank. So we're, we're backstage. Mike's, Mike's interviewing people. And so for Facebook live, the, it was really cool how he had it set up. He had like nine different camera angles he could use, and it was all just on his little laptop computer. Oh, it's a software thing, software, yeah. Where he's yeah. got this one camera where he can—he's doing switching without with just software. It's yeah. really cool. I program. want one of those. I but, do too. So he would go live, and then Tom Tom from Food Tank would then go and put the header. If you've ever done Facebook Live, you turn it live, but if you go live without the intro. What then, What do you mean? What What intro? On, on your Facebook page. So if you don't say, here's what it is, here's what we're looking at, you just go live and no oh, yeah, can right. see it. And it posts to Facebook and it posts to Twitter without an intro. So there's this whole, have the intro pre-typed, copy, paste, stick it in there, tag everything, get it moving, then go back and re-edit it to actually tag people. <laughs> it was kind of interesting. You were, you guys were just, I, I looked out, I would look out occasionally uh, from where I was doing the interviews out into the darkness and watch you and Tom, just your heads like bowed over your computers. Typing <laughs> away. Furiously typing away. <laughs> so, but if you missed it, go check out the uh, the Facebook page. Yeah, we got to put, uh, we're going to repost some of those 
interviews, um, uh, Chef Rick Bayless mm-hmm. got a lot of hits right away. That was yeah. he was probably the most popular. Yeah, he but was, but we had some great great people on Billy there. Burdett. He was a lot of fun. Yeah, from Advocates for Urban Agriculture and and Harry Rhodes from Growing, Growing Home. Home. Um, you even got to interview the president of Cargill. Was he the president? I think so. I don't think he was. I think he was lower he was, down on the He the, was pretty high le- up there at Cargill. And, th- and we did find out he likes to grow carrots. Well, well, he doesn't. He actually grew them when he was like six yeah. or something when he was in school. And I don't think he does it anymore. So it's all mass produced now. And then, <laughs> he gets the mass production people to, to dig up carrots for him. So you did that all morning and then Alia Dalal posted all afternoon and she did right. a great job too. Yeah, so um, it was, uh, to say the least, intense. Really, really intense. So we survived it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> you had plenty of coffee and, in the process. And, and we're moving on, you know. It's, it's like the elections. You, you do it, you survive it, you move on. Um, so uh, we hope that some of you take advantage of that and look at that now. You um, put up here also something that I wanted to get to, and I'm glad you put it up here, was the Lake Calumet visit and the Southeast Environmental Task Force rain barrel giveaway. You don't by any chance have that handy, do you? Uh, the South, I don't have it in front of me, but they are doing through the end of the year, Southeast Environmental Task Force. You can go to their website, sctf.org, I believe, yeah. and order Um a free rain barrel. There's two or three different models that they have available in different colors as well. And you have to do it before the end of the year. Before the end of the year, and it's about a three-month delivery, they said. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Well, just about well, growing season. Yeah, by the they'll take time. the orders by the time they fulfill it, and then there's a pickup date. And you and, and that website, by the way, is setaskforce.org if you want to take advantage of the rain barrels. Um, we didn't really talk about our visit to no. last week, about our visit out to Lake Calumet, which was pretty cool. Um, we uh, got a tour of the area, and it was ex- uh, the folks were explaining the plan to sort of, you know, tear down, you know, city of Chicago, tear down that barbed wire fence <laughs> um, and uh, let people go to the area. There needs to be remediation in the area. Uh, but afterward, Kath, uh, I keep saying, sorry, Peggy and I went to um, Big Marsh and the bike mm-hmm. trail they opened up there. So we needed to see what that was like. And it's on the other side of Lake Calumet and really not accessible that easily. That's why they want to open up the Lake Calumet area so people can go through there and get to the Big Marsh mm-hmm. bike. And there were a couple of, there were three, three teenagers on bikes there. From like Downers Grove or someplace. Yeah, who came in. And they have these ramps at that bike trail, like serious ramps. If you got a bike, and we said, "Are you guys going to take take those ramps?" They went, "No." <laughs> it's like so much for our uh, the brave youth uh, uh, that we have uh, in our. Did country, you post huh? that picture of your, yourself standing next to the ramp? I no, I did not. I, we we should have done that. We've got, uh, yeah, because there's a ramp as tall as I am, basically. I'm six foot. So you get ahead of steam, and you take that bike, and you go up that ramp. Yikes. Yikes. Um, so, and, but, and the weird thing was you, you don't even know it's there. You know, we were kind of like, is this where we turn? How do we get in? Yeah, until you see the sign. Yeah. And it's still under construction. I mean, it ain't done. It's far a long way from done. 
but they did open it up anyway, and, and so they have. But the, the important thing is connecting everything on the south side there. If you drive down there, and I keep saying this, and my apologies to the people in Palatine, uh, but if you're from Palatine, you don't get it. You don't really know what the south side looks like until you go down there and vi- visit it and see everything barbed wire fenced off and do not trespass, and mm-hmm. here's the remnants of this factory and that that pit and whatever else. Um, and the idea is to tear down the barbed wire fence around Lake Calumet, which was an industrial lake for a long time, and now they want to open it up to recreation. And that was the idea, to get these concerned citizens down there. Uh, Durs Anderson from Open Land spoke eloquently, um, uh, you know, took us on a tour. And what was really interesting is the Port Authority followed us around. Everywhere. I mean, it, we had to sign waivers just to be on the property, and they were, they were herding us like cattle. <laughs> There's a guy in a pickup truck, literally 15 feet behind the group walking around the whole yeah. time. Yeah. And and if you want to see part of it, again, live stream on the Facebook page. We have the That's video. true. We did a live yeah. stream that morning with Tom Shepard from the Southeast Environmental Task Force, who was so if, on our show recently. Yeah, and if you're watching those live streams, please let us know because they're fun. But we, we need to make sure people are actually watching them. All right. Two more things before we get to uh, Mike McDonald. Uh, first is... There's an event coming up on December 7th that I'm involved in because I have recently uh, become a board member of the Illinois Recycling Association, and I'm helping put this event together at Plant Chicago. All right, it's, it's Plant Chicago at the plant, if you want to be specific about the marketing aspect of it, okay? Um at any rate, it's on the 7th of December, Pearl Harbor Day. And it is um, a tour of the plant. Uh, you get to hear the Plant Chicago people talk about their closed-loop system and, and how they plan to uh, and are taking energy and waste and, well, taking waste and creating energy in a closed-loop within there. They've got an anaerobic digester um, that is about to go, well, I guess we'll go online soon. Um, and uh, it's a cool place. they got a bakery. they got a brewery down there. And all in one building, and that's the idea, is that all the, in you know, aquaponics, really cool stuff. So there's a tour and a beer tasting, and there's also uh, sandwiches, that uh, you're, you're going to get there. Um, just a, a, a really neat, nifty kind of low-pressure event, only 35 bucks. Um, the sandwiches, by the way, come from uh, Pleasant House Bakery. Weiner Beer Company is the brewery. Uh, and then you get to meet folks from the Illinois Recycling Association and talk about recycling issues, including e-waste recycling, which is a huge deal which isn't working particularly well in the state of Illinois. And um, perhaps you can talk about the plastic bag tax, which just got enacted in the city of Chicago, um, and uh, what our views might be on that. So to find out more information about all of this, go to the Il- go to Illinois Recycling Association Facebook page. That's the easiest way to do it. Uh, you can also go to uh, the, the website, IllinoisRecycles.org. But I figure the easiest way for folks to do this is to go to 
the Facebook page, Illinois Recycling Association. Look for the Net Zero Networking event. Clever title. Give us a ding on the clever title. Thank you. Net Zero Networking. And I hope that some of you will join us on the 7th. Mm -hmm. I just tweeted out the link. Oh, good. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. Um, And uh, that happens on the 7th of December. Last but not least, I would be terribly remiss because as we lurch into the holiday season, it's the holiday season. Uh, My group, you've heard them on this show because I do an ad. You'll hear it one more time just today, and then I'm done with it. Uh, The Frozen Robins, which is a caroling group. And unlike the Illinois Recycling Association, I actually do get paid (laughs) when I work with the Frozen Robins. Want a ding on that? Uh, Yeah, give me a ding for that, for getting paid. (laughs) Getting paid is a good thing. Uh, We start our caroling season in earnest this week at... You're going to be in earnest? Where is that? In Ernest, Illinois. Okay. Um, We're going to be at the Morton Arboretum at Illumination... Uh, and if you haven't been to Illumination, you really need to go. They light up the trees. You walk around. You have hot cocoa. You have hot cider. You uh, listen to the Frozen Robins sing. You bring the kids. It's really a great time. Uh, and if you're lucky, you get a light snow falling, and it's just magical. Uh, but uh, we are doing a bunch of events at Illumination this year, starting this Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Frozen Robins at Illumination from 5 to 8 p.m. So come on by. Say hello. Say you heard us on the show. Uh, and, uh, and be part of it. Yes. And they can get a sneak preview Tuesday morning, right? Uh, right. Boy, you're good. Thank you. I get a ding. You get a ding. Tuesday morning, um, the Frozen Robins are going to be on WCIU-TV, the uh, You and Me in the Morning show. Uh, at uh, 7.20 a.m., I believe, or thereabouts. Yes, it's frightfully early. Our call is like <laughs> 6.15 at, wow. at the Morton Arboretum. But you'll see us, and we'll be doing a little preview this Tuesday morning. I think we should tweet that out, too, the preview on WCIU this uh, Tuesday morning. Uh, I will certainly be doing that in the next couple of days, let folks know. So you can watch us there. So um, Illumination next Friday, Saturday, Sunday. On Saturday also, the Frozen Robins will be at the Chicago Botanic Garden for the Wonderland Express. And that will be the second day of the Wonderland Express, the first uh, weekend day of it. And we it's kind of a tradition, just like Illumination is a tradition. We sing there. Um, so come on by if you're up in the Nortland and you want to come by. We're there at 10 a.m. to noon at Wonderland Express. And if you've never been to Wonderland Express, that's also pretty cool. It's got all these trains and doors, and they've done models of different iconic buildings in the Chicago area um, in miniature. And it's really nifty. It, it really is. And I think you can go to the Botanic Garden website and buy your ticket in advance for that, too. Yeah, you and you can do. Uh, oh, and and you can well, you can do that for illumination as yeah. well, and that it, that's advisable because some of these events sell out. You know, uh, I would think that this coming weekend some of these events will sell out mm-hmm. because it's the first weekend of the holiday season. Do I get a roadie pass if I show up? <laughs> I'm going to see what I can arrange. <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, so there you go, Lisa that's, Hilgenberg. If you're listening out there, yeah, get her a roadie pass. <laughs> Uh, and I hope we see and say hi. 
if you, you know if you hear us sing and, and you like what we're doing, the Frozen Robin. You can also go to the Frozen Robins Facebook page. You can go frozenrobins.com. Uh, if you go to the Facebook page, give us a like. Do that right now. Go to the Mike Novak Show. Give us a like. Um, you know, it it never hurts. And share it and let them and like And share too. and let everybody else know what's going on. Well, as I mentioned, this is a time when a lot of folks start to get serious about holiday gift shopping. And if you have a gardener in your life, boy, oh boy, do I have a gift for you. Welcome to Happy Leaf LED. It's a commercial quality LED grow light that's designed for anybody who likes to grow anything. Lightweight, uncomplicated, no fans, no motors, just plug it in and go. And it's long-lasting with a 50,000-hour minimum lifespan. You can use it for seed starting, but who knows what you're capable of growing under this light. This all-purpose LED with precisely tuned red and blue spectrums allows the full range of plant growth. The Direct Gardening Association has already given Happy Leaf LED their 2017 Green Thumb Award, and it's made in the U.S. of A., unlike Donald Trump ties. I already have a couple of the LEDs myself. Get it for a friend. Get it for yourself. Go to happyleafled.com for complete kits that will get you up and growing in a matter of minutes. You're you're just not going to believe how easy it is. Happy Leaf LED. Go to happyleafled.com. It's about the light. Did you know that Genesis is the Midwest's largest source of airbrush supplies? Find out more at chicagoairbrushsupply.com or artsupply.com. Or stop into their showroom at 2525 North Elston and say that you heard about them on Q4 Radio or the Mike Novak Show and get an extra 10% off their already discounted prices. Genesis, Chicago's only privately owned art supplier, serving all of Chicago's artistic framing and drafting needs since 1946. I didn't mean to interrupt you with yourself there. I kind of heard myself echoing in my head more than normal. Wait, wait, but this is, it's double voice. Oh, well. Uh, Mike McDonald coming up next. Stick around. Did you know Chicagoans are getting healthier all the time? Hi, I'm Peggy, and I know this is true because for six years I've been publishing Natural Awakening, Chicago's greenest and healthiest magazine. And if you want your message to reach this growing market, you do need to get your business in front of our readers. Why? Because our advertisers tell us that our targeted readers are committed to improving their health and ready to take action. That's more than 80,000 people in Chicagoland who will respond to your message. They're looking for holistic wellness practitioners, integrative doctors and dentists, nutritionists, health coaches, yoga instructors, even home improvement and landscape experts. Natural Awakenings is a free monthly magazine available in more than 1,100 locations throughout Cook, Lake, and McHenry counties. Call me today to expand your market and grow your business. 847-858-3697. That's 847-858-3697. Natural Awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more. Trying to weather the housing market? Consider replacing your windows and siding. Remodeling Magazine says they're some of the nation's most popular projects today. Trust DR Services Unlimited, 847-998-1687 for all your remodeling and energy needs. Rated A-plus by the Better Business Bureau and recommended on Angie's List. DR is a proud member of NARI. DR provides exceptional quality at a fair price. Contact DR at 847-998-1687 or at RestoreTheNorthShore.com. This is Suzanne Malik McKenna for Chicago Wilderness. When you think of our region, wilderness may not be the first thing that comes to mind. 
Did you know this area is home to more than half a million acres of protected nature with thousands of plants and animal species? Our local native wildlife needs your help. Now is the time. 12 Animals in 12 Weeks is a campaign to get support for these critical species and their habitats. Sponsor one today. Meet the species at chicagowilderness.org splash species. Splash species. Splash. I kind of like that. <laughs> ah. My church and my country could use a little mercy now. Because they sink into a poison pit. It's going to take forever. I found out about that song last week from uh, Kathleen. Um, that's a, a woman uh, named Mary Gauthier. Are you familiar with her? Mm-mm. I was trying to figure out who it was. Yeah, it's a great song too, and it was. It's a song called "Mercy Now," uh, and uh, it was uh, Kathleen put the uh, the link to it, uh, Facebook or rather YouTube link uh, from the Music Fog Studio at the 2010 Americana Music Festival in Nashville. Uh, and it's just a it's a lovely and a haunting song, and it and it and it's really uh, appropriate at this time. So I uh, just thought I would uh, throw that in there and uh, let us welcome into the studio Mike McDonald, uh, who's got his book spread out in front of him. Here, I'm going to grab one of these too. This and thing his is bright orange shirt. Yes, you look like you just got out of prison. I'm the great pumpkin. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to need you to step, pull that mic up really close. Really close. Really close. There you go, dude. Oh, and oh, wait, no, we don't want you, I don't want you bending down. There there we go. There we go. Um, Thanks for having me. Sure. Uh, The last time I saw you in person um, was at your dining room table, and you had these uh, things spread, sheets uh, spread out all over the table, and you were, I'm sorry, you were a wreck. You were a mess (laughs) because uh, the book was just about to come out. Uh, and you uh, had issues with the quality of everything. I mean, because um, that's what you do when you get your own bush book published. You 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 obsess about everything. Um, Gee, and, I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, now. really. And, and, I and do this see, every month. And Peggy does it every single month. <laughs> Um, and uh, here you go. Uh, I'm looking at. I mean, you've got this fantastic book. The uh, the results. Uh, you know, the jury's in, and it's great. Uh, so, and I'm sure you have little things. Here and there, you probably still look at and go, oh, I wish that had not happened. But I think overall, you've got to be pretty pleased about your book, which is called My Journey into the Wilds of Chicago, A Celebration of Chicagoland's Startling Natural Wonders. Well, as much as the book was a nightmare for me to publish, it was also a nightmare for the printer to deal with me. <laughs> and so therefore... <laughs> no, no, not you, Mike. No, the book is as perfect as you could get one. Um, that was a time when they were sending me... Um, folded and gathered uh, all the signatures of a book. The book has mm-hmm. 240 pages, and that means uh, – and there's 12 uh, per signature. 
uh, a signature is 12 pages, so they have to go through the book and put so 20 of these signatures in. So they send me these 20 signatures, and they're all, like, floppy and funny, and they're sending me the cover that's all loose and floppy. Nothing's glued or sewn or anything. <laughs> so I'm looking at them, and, uh, and then, you know, and that was after all the editing and the proofreading and the uh, four years, nine months worth of uh, choosing photographs, uh, working up the photographs. The writing was really challenging uh, and wonderful. And uh, since that time, it was uh, um, uh, it was uh, nationally reviewed by Publishers Weekly. Yeah, and you got a wonderful review there. That's just terrific. And you've got terrific forewords by people who saw the book before it came yeah. out, Bill so- Curtis and – and, and Stephen Packard. Stephen Packard, yeah. Um, and uh, for folks who don't know Stephen, he's sort of iconic in the Chicago area in the, the natural world, um, having been with Audubon and other organizations. So, um, yeah, it's it's terrific stuff. And and but, but what's interesting is when people, you know, when I'm, when my book came out, which I'm not even making the comparison. I'm just talking about it to tell mm-hmm. a story. Um, uh, Attack of the Killer Asparagus when it came out a couple of years ago and people said how long did it take you to write it? Uh, well it's based on my columns for Chicagoland Gardening Magazine so I said oh about 13 years because that was the compilation mm-hmm. and so if people ask how long did it take you to do this book your answer is probably oh about 22 years. Yes it's 22 years of photography but when I first started it maybe just like you you weren't thinking oh I'm doing a book Right. it's just the case ar- arose um that I, did, I needed a book to be made. A book needed to be made because I was on the uh, telephone with a young woman. Uh, let's call her Daisy. It's a, I write about it in my preface, mm-hmm. and she says how much she loves nature. And she doesn't know I'm a nature photographer. I don't even remember why we're talking. But she says, "Wow, I love nature, and I really love butterflies in particular." And I said, "Well, I know this guy, you know, Doug Taran at the Nature Museum, and, and he works with the butterflies. He's an expert, and he has a preserve called Bluff Spring Fen where he releases rare butterflies. Right. And, and you could work." with him and i'm thinking i am making her day mike (laughs) and she says and she says oh no 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 mike i just collect butterfly refrigerator magnets and that was the last straw so the a photograph on my preface it's the top of a refrigerator my refrigerator okay i I wasn't sure if that was hers and she sent a photo no this is no this is mine i i i and and you know what i need to throw into that though is all right, yeah, the little uh, rim shot there. Yeah, so. but a sad version of that. And um, <laughs> I don't have that, a sad <laughs> rim shot. Maybe okay. maybe a more of a, de- a deeper sound. How about you go? Like a gong, a gong, right? Exactly. And so what I did was on the the, the front one of the first pages of the book, or part of the preface, I have like uh, eighty butterfly refrigerator magnets, along with silk flowers on the refrigerator to nourish them. And uh, well, so I went to your house and you had the the the, the, yes. the butterfly magnets on the refrigerator. You remember that? Yeah. Oh, because, yes, I do. Because that was for this shot. And so it's sort of, you know, it's it, it just indicative of, I think, of how people think is it's not about being in nature. It's about, like, watching nature on TV and they get their nature hit. But they really don't know what it's like to be out there for real. Yeah. Um, yeah, but you do. Oh, go ahead, Peggy. No, I just, I, I noticed that theme again and again of, and there's a quote I'm looking for in the PDF, but apparently the bookmark I put in. Acrobat's not cooperating. It's okay. Tell me. Maybe uh, I know about it. the magics out there, the mysteries out there. You just have to go out and find it. Yeah, that's a big theme in the book. I mean, I probably have that in many different places. The um, the whole point is I have several chapters in the book. People think if they just look at the book that it's merely a coffee table book with pictures. But there's 43,500 words worth of text, mm-hmm. which is almost unprecedented. Um, 
And I wrote it from the heart, and I, I just didn't – It's it comes from a uh, public speaking engagement or a performance I give for, I was giving for the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. And then I started to flesh it out more. And um, so I'm always trying to engage people in nature, and that's the, the theme of the book. Because And by the way, like if I would have gone to get it published by somebody else, not only would it be difficult for them to do financially, I mean, or they wouldn't want to take the risk. I mean, I took the same risk. Mm-hmm. But what was interesting is like I thought there was a need for it, and to a publisher, it's just another book. And to me, I wanted to change the world with this. So that's why I spared no expense on the workmanship. I mean, every picture is – full of color, a d- richer color mm-hmm. than you'll see in almost any book. Um, uh, the, uh, the, the, every picture has a spot varnish on it, which means that the, it's on matte paper, but you can, yeah. re- you can read it very well. And the pictures are extremely rich, and, and they're also hit with a varnish, so they pop off the page. So, uh, so I really put my whole heart into it, and it's because like when I'm out in nature, I, I experience this beauty, peace, and hope that we mm-hmm. all need right now. You know, especially. <laughs> Did you, you? You never dreamed that a year later we would need this more than ever, right. and we yeah. would need the serenity that this book offers, right. folks. Yeah. yeah. So one of the things that you touch on in the book is getting in this blind that you built and going into the stream or into the marsh and waiting for the birds. What What is that like? I mean, you're talking serenity. What is that like waiting for them? It's um, well, I I used to think that I had no patience. Uh, and the only difference between patient and patience and tenacity is cursing, really, right? I mean, <laughs> oh, shucks, you know, come on already. I'll hurry up, you know, kind of thing. Yeah, because I say shucks all the time. And, uh, and, and, and the idea That's why you're wearing a prison outfit, right? <laughs> so what happens is when I'm going – when I go to these uh, wetlands, they're usually a mm-hmm. wetland, um, and I'm kneeling in the water, and I'm waiting for – in chest waders and um, – I'm waiting for uh, birds to come by because we're in Chicago and they're skittish, you know. So it's not like you're in Florida where they're like an arm's length away posing, you know, kind of thing. Well, well, wait a second. Stop there. Stop there. Uh, We'll get back to the marsh. What's that all about? I mean, is it because there's so few of them around here or something else? Well, they aren't used to people because, believe it or not, when you're in Florida, there's like a billion people walking down the Anhinga Trail or in the Everglades and those kind of places that they're used to the people. And they're just perched on the edge of a like a little like fence post or something uh-huh. right there. You'll see like a cormorants and everything. Um, and here, I mean, I don't think there's, this, there's not that many people in the preserves and uh, that you know, if, if they were passing by every day like that. So if there were more, you wouldn't. We wouldn't need this book, right? Uh, you'd, you'd certainly need the book because the book doesn't feature. Uh, the book only has ten percent of the photographs, and the book is wildlife. The the the, the idea is the, the idea for photographing the book in the way I did is to celebrate the landscape, celebrate what mm-hmm. it means to actually be there. I mean, like uh, I see photographs of bugs and flowers and butterflies and things and their close-ups and those are great but what's really important is you can't put yourself in that spot unless you have a place you know i give i give a sense of that big beautiful landscape that you could that devours you when you're inside it and that's what i do extremely immersive photography to celebrate being there the the working a blind is more of an anomaly now i'm not doing that as much anymore but when i was working a blind what goes through my head was always like just waiting for something to come and it but it was always anticipating it because at every moment the everything can change and then at that point the the, the, you know you don't know when something's going to happen you have to kind of keep your hand on the buzzer so to speak if it were a game show Mm -hmm. because you never know when something's going to happen so that was always like like sort of like complete boredom with with complete anticipation (laughs) at the same time so there's this weird mix of it and then my imagination goes wild and i just daydream and think of things and you know 
Not no. off? What? Did never. You not off? Never. Okay. And never. then all of a sudden, the buzzer goes off. <laughs> <laughs> and it's very much like that in a way because then it all happens at one yeah. time. But when, when most of my work occurs in the prairies and the savannas and the woodlands. And what I do is I wake up, it could wake up as early as 2.50 in the morning, which, by the way, I realized that I didn't, I thought I didn't like daylight saving time. And then I realized <laughs> this year that if I didn't have daylight saving time, I would be getting up at 1.50 in the morning. So thank you, daylight saving time. <laughs> and, um, and that wouldn't even be like the morning. That would be just, hey, staying up a little late, you know. Yeah. And so uh, I would I'd go off into the, the super wet and dewy uh, prairies. I have a chapter in the book called I Am the Canvas, which talks about uh, how it's, I go to these magical places where the uh, um, landscape paints the artist. And, uh, and I also Meaning your pants get wet. My pants, everything <laughs> gets wet. A pioneer once said um, uh, to the prairie, said he gets as wet in a walking through a morning prairie of big blue stem than he does when he it's it's equal to jumping in the creek and uh he is more than right um it's a soaking wet experience um Mm -hmm. when you yeah yeah. you can't you can't avoid that really can you if you're going to be out in nature early especially in the middle of it in the grasses and stuff if you're in the woodland you know you don't have as much fog and dew there most mostly savannas are a little more open but they could have a lot too uh, so that could have a lot of wet or, or wetlands near a wetland area, like a low, like a bowl, like a Bluff Spring Fen in Elgin. You have like a lower bowl, so a lot of you walk in there, and it's 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 right across. It's the entrance is at a cemetery. It's behind the cemetery, so it's almost like it's there's apparitions and ghosts in there when you mm-hmm. walk in, and uh, so the idea the the whole idea is to help immerse people and to give them an experience of what it's like to be in nature, if they especially if they haven't been, and I urge them to go out there and. Uh, experience this beauty, especially on your own. There's something special about doing it by yourself. Uh, you could be with people, but there's something about that spiritual experience mm-hmm. you get by yourself. All, however, I'm the kind of guy that won't even go to a movie by himself. I mean, I like the camaraderie. So I would think that some people like being out with somebody else, and then you get to share that experience as well. I mean, you, yeah, it can work both ways, I yeah. would think. I, I don't know. I think that, like, I, I'm probably, theoretically, that's true. But there's something, you know, I'm super gregarious, uh, and uh, I, there's something about, there's a, there, there are thoughts that go through your head or don't go through your head when you're by yourself. Yeah. That when you're with someone else, a lot of times you, you have to, you're thinking a little bit about them. You're thinking yeah. a little bit about, like, you don't know it, but it's sort of like your computer. You have this background software running, and yeah. you don't know it's there. And so there's this, rela- like, when, and when I see my, and there's this personal experience. Think about it like this. When I come home, and my wife, I call around the phone at her job, and she says, so how was it today? You know, I can never say to that, her, like, exactly what happened, because if I say it, the experience is not as beautiful. It's not as romantic. It like words aren't enough, you know. And it's almost like kissing and telling. So that's what I mean. How personal it is, and it really is that way, you know, to me. And so I could say it's great, and she gets that it's great. You, you know, no, you gets. say to her, it's for me to know, and you to find <laughs> out, huh? Yeah, there's a, there, there's this there's this experience there that like transcends words, and that she gets how nature how. Uh, uh, you know, inspiring nature can be and how like re- it resets that, mm-hmm. yeah. it resets that, uh, you know, your operating system. Yeah. Uh, by the way, let me just, before you ask, that's Mike McDonald, who author and uh, photographer, my journey into the wilds of Chicago, a celebration of Chicago's startling natural wonders uh, is available right now. I've got the link on my website, 
you can go to uh, what, what's the easiest website for them to go to? ChicagoNature.com is perfect. ChicagoNature.com, and if you go to your local bookstore and ask for it, that wouldn't mm-hmm. be bad either. They all know about it. They just maybe are need a little push. It'll be in all Barnes and Nobles pretty soon. But again, um, but right now this is uh, this is one of those special books that uh, if you get it for people, especially folks in this area, uh, they're going to say, "I never knew that." those places existed and that's kind of the point of the book but peggy back to you a couple of the photos that really struck me were the winter photos because we we tend to want to or at least i tend to want to stay inside in the winter but when i do get out on that sunny day where it's the blue sky and the fresh snow yeah it's just it's it's incredible and you you even pointed out don't just keep looking up look down Talk a little yeah, about that. Yeah, well, actually, what's really funny, you, it, that's funny because I do it different ways in the book. At some points, they say look down. At some points, they say look up. So uh, there's a – yeah, a winter is magical, and it, it's when Mother Nature gets um, whimsical. And there's, there's, there aren't, like, rules. Like, you walk out there into a uh, – you, you walk into Illinois Beach Nature Preserve or any preserve, and you'll see coyote track. And I follow that track and discover, so that's about looking down in this mm-hmm. case, where I'm, I follow that track into the distance and I have it. I, I, it's a story written by an unwitting author. You know, it's wandering through and I see it come onto um, ovals of depressed ovals where you see that's where deer were laying at least for a few seconds or a minute prior to Until the arrival. Until they figured out the uh, coyotes were there. Yeah. Right. So one coyote I'm Except following. Except for that one that didn't get away that's in your book. Well, that was a, that's, a, that's a little bit. That was that, that, there was one uh, deer photograph in the book, and that was because it, was, um, it had eaten too much sand at the preserve uh, along with the grass, and its stomach and its bowels became jammed. It's called sand colic, and it jams, and it must have, like, a um, stomach ache from hell. And uh, it died or was, was uh, injured. It was, it was near the trail, and I saw the, the, that the coyotes dragged it about 300 feet in and probably put it out of its misery. So they probably didn't kill it on its own. They, pro- they actually did a service to put it yeah. out of its misery. And so, but I follow, for example, a uh, little more upbeat story, but, you know, it kind of ends a little differently. But the point is, like, you find coyote stirring mm-hmm. up the deer, and you look in the snow, and the snow is like all this uh, uh, this spray of snow and you can see the push off of all the deer track and all the snow is scattered everywhere but you don't see it you just see it in this you see the story in the snow and then and then you go and you you look at the other preserve you look at you, and you follow it along and you, you it comes to another deer yard they're called and you could see the ex, the, the uh, explosion of the deer as they jumped leapt away and then you watch you follow it around and suddenly it's by a, a brambly bush and i know what likes to live and hide in brambly bushes rabbits and i see a little and i see the coyote going around this bush and i'm thinking mm. oh, it's looking for rabbits and then you see a little bit of rabbit track and then you see rabbit track and coyote track and then you see <laughs> you know, this scurrying going on and then you see three drops of blood ooh, ooh. and then about 20 feet longer, there's a pelt of rabbit. So, I mean, you see the, there's these wonderful stories in the snow. There's also, for example, marum grass, which I pronounced backwards, by the way, M-A-R-R-A-M. It's a, a palindrome. And what happens is this grass is a rare species. It's an endangered species. And the, um, it, it, it carves its, its, like these arcs in the snow. The wind blows it, and it cuts the arcs in the snow so they look like sapphire necklaces or necklaces in the yeah. snow. And so, you know, you see beautiful stuff like that. You see, like, ice sculptures along the edge of streams. You see um, uh, bubbles in the ice. 
you know, that are like uh, like encapsulated in time, like you know, uh, like uh, like f- like fossils or whatever in amber, you know. And so, and then if you look up into the trees after one of these snowfalls where it's extremely uh, uh, sticky, yeah, then it looks like there's lace. You know, and so yeah. like there's all this magical. I mean, the the winter is just underrated because people don't want to go out there. But once you get past all the cars and the traffic and you park, it gets so beautiful and quiet. That's the, the quiet, I think, is is what really is uh, most attractive to me. But, you know, of course, you, you you're there out all, in all the seasons and there's a lot of stuff, wonderful stuff that grows. I mean, I was just looking at. Skunk cabbage. I love skunk cabbage. I think it's one of the coolest plants ever. Um, and I and I'm not sure that other people agree with me, but uh, you know, there you go. But if you get enough of it in one spot, um, it's it's magical. Like uh, like a lot of different plants. What have you got there? Uh, the, the, well, yeah, no, you're right. Uh, Chicago is like people think that they have to go to the botanic garden to see the big stinky plant that's over your head that smells bad. Well, we have a stinky <laughs> plant that smells bad that's t- completely and utterly reliable. Every year yep. in March, uh, I have a chapter in the book and actually a poem with it called Searching for Spring. And it's I wander the woodlands looking for skunk cabbage as it pokes its burgundy hood, spotted burgundy hood, out of the f- leaves or snow. And it's the only plant that it's the only plant in our area, and there's only like three instances of this, I think, in the world. It's called a thermogenetic plant where it has an ovoid, an ov- a three-dimensional oval in the middle, and that's a furnace. And it actually heats the plant up. And if you could imagine, if you would cup your hands and join your in- all your fingers at the tips together, that's the shape of one of these things. Right. And so what happens is uh, the flowers on the oval in there. They're little flowers, and the whole oval smells like a dead animal, and it's great for flies that like that stuff. They go, oh, boy, you know, yummy, yummy, and Yay. they come in there, and they get warm, and they get they, – they, Because they, it's early, it's an early plant. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like March. It's like – well, yeah. this year was actually uh, April 29th, someone reported hmm. they found it. That was a bit early for spring even for, because there was still snow on the ground, but it's still – spring came to Chicago on that date last yeah. year, this year. And the point being is that the flies come in, and they start pollinating those little flowers and in, do, in, in sort of tricks – Tri- the, the plant is tricking the, 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 the flies to come in there to pollinate. And when it does, uh, you know, they, I, I suppose the, the, the flies are a little bit d- disappointed, but they, hate, they get a warm spot. <laughs> well, think about it. The, the, well, they're, the, they're not as disappointed. Actually, we're going to talk warm. about this later. They're yeah. not as disappointed as they are if they go to a carnivorous plant. So there you go. Yeah. Right, exactly. And this is they 60- live to tell. Yeah, they live to tell. Sorry, because these, these, these raise the temperature like 63 degrees Fahrenheit above the ambient temperature. It's like a spot in there. And, so, and, then, and then eventually the, the plant uh, turns into like a, something that looks like a cabbage. And then if you break the, the leaf, then it, it, it actually smells disappointingly like skunk. Um, I'm, I'm someone who thinks that the uh, faint smell of skunk is a delicacy. And that well, not like, a, I have uh, a friend of, <laughs> of mine who was a, a performer, and she came out to a car recently, and it, it had been skunked. Yeah. Uh, and she had to drive home in it and then try to clean it uh, out, and that's, that's nasty stuff. Yeah, but the faint smell of skunk is sort of like you don't like just swallow a bag of salt, do you? You sprinkle it on, it's like, ah, it's like a little bit of salt is really helpful. <laughs> oh, dear So me. my wife and I are driving. Okay, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and the best part of this book is the scratch and sniff uh, page well, uh, with a little bit of skunk on well, it. Well, it's interesting you mention that because I have a chapter called Breathe It In, and it's all about the smells of nature. And I talk about I wish my pictures were scratch and sniff. So there's <laughs> – because I do really find I'm telling this. you, you missed an opportunity here, dude. Uh, listen, we just uh, got a couple of minutes. What a year into the mission now? Um, what are you? What are you proudest of? And when you look back and you say, "Oh, I'm so glad I put that in the book." 
Well, you know, the book is done because there are over 350 square miles of natural area within an hour's drive of downtown Chicago, and most people don't know it's there. Mm -hmm. And you can't love and support something that doesn't exist. So I've made it my mission to play matchmaker and to introduce Chicagoans to that gorgeous neighbor next door and to spark thousands of love affairs. And so, by the way, 350 square miles is more beauty than Zion, Arches, Acadia, 29 national parks. And so... The whole idea is I don't know if I look at the book as like, oh, this page or that page. I think of the book as a message, a vision, a way of getting it to people's homes, a way of getting people to discover what we have so they can get out there and love and support it and also feel good you know, in doing so because it brings something to their lives. So let me ask this, oh, let me change my question then. Did you get your message out, do you think? Well, I expanded the message uh, with ChicagoNatureNow.com. It's a new website I created because there are 10 million people in the Chicago region, and 1% of that just to reach 1% of those people is 10,000. And when I only printed 3,400 books, only 3,400 books, I mean, how do I reach, how do I, I mean, I'm sorry, it's, it's 100,000 people. So uh, 1% of 10 million is 100,000 people. Mm-hmm. How can I reach 100,000 people? So I created a website called ChicagoNatureNow.com. ChicagoNature.com is my website where you can get the book, but Chicago right. Nature Now is a place where you can go and find all the different preserves that you can visit. And every week during the growing season, I make a post about mm-hmm. what's going on and the best stuff in Chicago Nature right now, like glorious yeah. blooms for as far as the eye can see. Yeah, you have a, a blog that you can subscribe to. Yeah, you can subscribe to a blog there, yeah, for free and just kind of... And I've got those links. All of those links are on my website, MikeNovak.net. If you go to uh, read about this week's show, go to my blog, and I've got the the link to the book. I've got the the link to Chicago Nature. Chicago Nature Now, uh, where folks can take advantage of this. And, you know, I hope they run out right now and get copies of this because your shopping's done. For your shopping's certain, done. For, cer- really for, cer- for certain people, this will be like, oh, you don't have to worry about anything else. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, I highly recommend it. And, uh, and, and congrats, too. You've been on WTTW. You've been on uh, NPR here in, uh, in Chicago. And you deserve to get uh, more uh, publicity. So, you know, there'll be the, the Mike Novak bump uh, <laughs> after, after this show. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. I'm hoping so. But, yeah, just keeping the word out there because that's what my, my goal is. I mean, I'm just doing this you know it's not like i'm getting paid much to do this so this is this oh is, welcome uh, to that club yeah, dude. okay <laughs> right so it's the whole idea is to spread the word and to change that's why you're a computer the... expert and a mathematician yeah. too. And, and all those other things besides <laughs> yeah. because you have to keep food on the table mike yes. mcdonald uh thank you so much uh thank thanks you. for coming thanks in for having thank me it's good to see you and i'm glad <laughs> thanks, to see mike. that it's doing so well and again if folks want uh, more information about my journey into the wilds of chicago a celebration of Chicago's startling natural wonders. Go to chicagonature.com, chicagonature.com. The second big hour of the show is coming up. We hope you stick around for it. If you've followed me over the years, you know that my background is not horticulture or environmental science or even political theory. It's showbiz. And at this time of year, I go back to my showbiz roots to promote my caroling group, the Frozen Robins. Here's a sample of our work. Oh, 
sing songs of the cheer. Christmas is here. Santa's on his way. Wop, 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 wop. Silver and gold, silver and gold. With a coin top pipe and a button nose. Hey, you better watch out. You better not cry. So if you're looking for a bunch of entertainment pros to add some fun to your holiday event, write to me, Mike at MikeNovak.net about the Frozen Robins or contact me on any of my social media outlets. We'd love to be the hit of your season. Captain's log, stardate 42326.1. The Enterprise is under attack by an apparently hostile life form. Mr. Wolf, status report. They appear to be perambulating vegetables. We are being stalked by stalks of asparagus. That is incorrect, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, be more specific. Asparagus officinalis, or killer asparagus, was the subject of a very popular 21st century tome by the brilliant author Mike Novak. Mike Novak. I'm familiar with his work. Of course. Attack of the Killer Asparagus is required reading at Starfleet Academy. Tell me more, Mr. Data. He has been variously compared to Mark Twain, Dave Barry, and Gwynok of Ninglador. Captain, shields are failing. Thank you, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, options. Captain, it seems to be available online at AroundTheBlockPress.com. AroundTheBlockPress.com. What do they have to say? Hmm. It appears that Mike Novak is a slapstick every gardener, taking all our self-delusions, mishaps, and confusions, and playing them for big laughs. That's not very helpful, Mr. Data. No, it is, however, highly accurate. You can get anything you want at Alice's Restaurant. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show, still Chicago's only locally broadcast deep green gardening and environment program. Broadcasting live every Sunday from the Genesis Art Supply Building on North Elston Avenue, on Q4 Radio, and at MikeNovak.net. Here he is again, Mike Novak. Now it all started two Thanksgivings ago, two years ago on Thanksgiving, when my friend and I went up to visit Alice at the restaurant, but Alice doesn't live in the restaurant, she lives in the church nearby the restaurant. It's really weird hearing this now, because I'm usually like doing final preparations of something for Thanksgiving while XRT has this Yeah, because they play it every year. Yeah, 11 o'clock. Is that what it is? And I I thought, you know, I'm just doing all the holiday traditions Mm -hmm. here, starting with with the uh, Les Nessman and the Flying Turkeys from WKRP in Cincinnati and uh, Arlo Guthrie here. You know, but the problem with Thanksgiving, there's very few. It's, it's, there's a select few. I, w- I went online to try to find uh, Thanksgiving music. A lot of it was classical, and I went, no, I'm not, I'm not really going to play classical. I'll play Alice's Restaurant. Yeah, it's you know, just not a music holiday. It's, it's really not. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show on uh, Q4 Radio. And uh, I, first of all, before we, we move forward with our guests uh, in the studio, I'm actually going to go to the phone line and see if Corey Chapman is there. Corey, are you with us? Yes, I'm here. Good morning. Excellent. Good morning, good, Corey. Good morning to you. Hang on just a second. We'll be right with you and, and, and have a little conversation. In the studio, we are very pleased uh, to have a, a couple of people with us. Uh, one is, uh, do you prefer Elizabeth or Liz? Uh, Liz is fine. Liz is fine. Liz Lyon, uh, who is the manager of Plant Chicago's Farmer's Market, uh, and you just started your indoor farmer's markets. Was that yesterday? 
Uh, we started in October. Yep. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, so we've had two indoor markets. And oh, that's right. One. Yeah, you started yep. in October, so yep. you're, so you're still doing that. But uh, once a month, first Saturday of the month, yes, folks can come down there from what time? To uh, what? Eleven to three. Eleven to three. Um, and if you haven't been to, to uh, the plant, you need to go down there. Uh, they've got the, the garden out there. Of course, they've got the closed loop system. Alex, now, is it Polterock? Polterock. Polterock. Okay. I got it pretty close from uh, the Urban Canopy is also in the studio. Explain uh, what the uh, Urban can- Canopy is all about. Uh, sometimes it's a little tough, but generally, <laughs> generally speaking, we call ourselves a, a small farm on the south side of Chicago. Okay, you call yourself a small farm, and our, our discussion today is, is about farmers' markets. So what does that have to do with farmers' markets generally? How do you uh, engage with farmers' markets? Well, in addition to uh, the Plant Chicago markets on Saturdays, we do 14 farmers' markets every week during the summer. When you say you do 14 farmers' markets, I mean the stuff you grow? It's stuff that we grow as well as stuff that we work with other farmers in the region and in the city. And then we actually run seven markets for the city of Chicago in food desert neighborhoods. Oh, do you really? Okay. So you, you're you part of this, this equation and in this story that we've been talking about and keeping farmers markets going because you actually run them yourself or yourselves. Yeah, with Experimental Station doing the link processing and, and the managing, and then we all kind of work together to figure out how to make it work better for the residents and community members in these areas. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's start. Let's start at the beginning now that we have these. Uh, oh, and by the way, uh, uh, Corey, explain a little bit about the Experimental Station and what you do down there. Not a problem. Uh, so we're non nonprofit on the south side of Chicago, and we uh, actually run a farmers market called the Sixty First Street Farmers Market. Um, and we have a few food access programs, um, two of which I run, and one is the Double Value Coupon Program offered at uh, many of the farmers markets in the city of Chicago. Uh, in that program, um, a, a person that um, has a link card or has SNAP benefits can visit a farmers market that participates, and they can get a dollar-for-dollar match uh, in what they spend off their link card and what we call Double Value Coupons. So it allows them to stretch their SNAP dollars to buy uh, really nice, really great wholesome food from the farmers. Yeah, well, the, the, the problem with that is that it doesn't always um, encourage people to go. I guess that's been one of the, the issues that we've been uh, faced with. Uh, you know, let's, let's go back to the beginning a little bit. You know, as I mentioned at the, in the first hour of the show, um, when um, in September, I, I got a message from Kaida Muhammad, who runs the South Shore Market, and she said she was going to have to shut down for a couple of weeks. She was looking for vendors. She was having trouble keeping her vendors. Uh, that suddenly became an issue, and I was like, "Okay, um, you know, I had her on the show. We talked about it, um, and." One of the issues, well, that was an issue with vendors. I think there was an issue with the, the number of people who were showing up, um, just a little of everything. And, and then um, I found out that there was a big meeting. Uh, Liz, you were at the meeting. Alex, were you there? Was, Depends which meeting. Um, I don't think so. 24th of October, there were about 10 people to talk about this. Corey, uh, were you at that meeting? I called into that, yeah. Okay. So um, the meeting was about... Some of these issues, why some of the markets were doing well, how others that weren't, um, 
why that is, how do you fix it? Um, and so I thought it was Liz, you, you reached out to me and said, you're talking about this. I would love to, to, to come on the show and, uh, and discuss the issue of farmers markets. So let's start with you. Talk, tell me a little bit about what happened at that meeting where, uh, who was there and what was the discussion like? Sure. Um, so, yeah, this was a meeting that was organized by the Illinois Farmers Market Association um, to bring together market managers specifically on the south side. Um, so there were about 10 managers there, and the discussion was really around um, where are these markets happening, just helping people get on the same page um, because we're all doing the same work on the south side um, and talking about kind of the struggles of farmers markets and then how can we work together to do outreach and education and make sure people they have the incentives they need to know about and shop at these farmers markets. Um, so it was a really good discussion. Um, surprisingly, there was no meeting like this ever before. So um, really starting something to get the south side and these kind of food desert markets that Alex mentioned together to um, do more outreach around that. I'm interested that there had not been a market or a meeting like this before. That That's kind of interesting. Um, and the, the, the first question I want to ask in is that uh, are we just talking about geography in terms of markets that fail uh, or are having – that struggle, let me put it that way, that struggle, or is there something else involved? Um, do all the South Side markets have a tough time? I imagine the 61st Street market does not. Uh, so, what what are the the issues we're talking about? Uh, and Corey, I'll turn it over to you since you're with the experimental station, uh, which hosts the 61st Street market. Um, what makes your market successful and others uh, on the South Side not so much? Um. Well, I, I guess I could probably phrase it as, as to what we do. I'm not sure if it's uh, any majorly different that makes us successful. Um, but I, we do have a full-time market manager that um, is a 40-hour-a-week-plus person uh, year-round, and they are dedicated to uh, growing the market, making sure vendors are there, uh, curating the market. So. And, but a big part of her job is also doing outreach to the community. Um, I think that's why many markets may fail. Uh, it's just getting the word out and drawing customers to it because, you know, many farmers markets, they're running on a shoestring budget. They don't have money for advertisement. Um, so it's mostly word of mouth, uh, and it's mostly activism by that farmers market. Um, so if, if there's one advantage we do have is having a full-time staff person. Um, doing all those jobs. Mm -hmm. uh, I understand that, uh, but not everybody. I mean, I look at the Kaida at South Shore Market. She's a one-woman band down there, and and I met, yeah. and you're nodding, Liz, because there's a lot of. I imagine there's a lot of other markets that are like that too. Yes, definitely. A lot of markets are volunteer-run, um, which and market management. A lot of people don't realize isn't you just start a farmers market and all the farmers and customers, you know, show up. Um, when you say you're going to have a farmer's market. So having someone who is dedicated um, and paid to do all that outreach and recruiting vendors is is really important, and it's a challenge for people who are, are volunteers and who might be really passionate about it but don't necessarily have the time and um, the resources to do 
all of that that makes a market successful. Well, you know, and and uh, Corey Chapman mentioned staff. All right, come on. I've been on a lot of not-for-profits who'd love to have staff, mm-hmm. who'd love to have even a, who'd even love to have an intern, you know, show up for a couple of hours a week and can't get them. It's not that easy. Uh, so, or even getting consistent volunteers to show up. Right, even volunteers because being consistent, yeah. yeah, being consistent is is the key. Uh, perhaps uh, Alex, you want to weigh in a little bit uh, about that in in the model you have. How does that work? Well, I wanted to comment uh, on the first part that yeah, it's definitely not geography alone that um, demographics, just money plays into it. Is that in a lot of these communities you don't have all that additional disposable income? It's not a luxury item. It's uh, it's really about getting the food that your family needs to eat. Um, I think another part that's important to mention is that even with uh, markets that have been around for a few more years, like 61st Street or other markets around the city, is every year is still a moving target in terms of people move around, organizations come and go. Um, it's a chicken or egg type problem. Of what, do you have enough vendors? Do you have enough customers? They both incentivize one another. You know, more customers means that you probably need more vendors at your market. If you have more vendors, then you need more customers so that each of those farms and vendors are successful uh, themselves financially. And it's just difficult every year to continue to plan, to execute, um, and and have a thriving market. It, it feels like every year you're, you're kind of doing something different to, to stay ahead of the game Uh in addition to all the staffing and interns and all the other issues you mentioned. In other words, it's like running a business. I mean, it's just like any other business is that you have to stay ahead of the curve somehow. Uh, you, you can be trendy for a year, for a couple of years, and then suddenly the bottom falls out. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that something that I've seen Plant Chicago, uh, an experimental station in Urban Canopy, do well is I heard this saying recently that what you measure is what you manage. And a lot of really good information comes out of these two nonprofits because they measure attendance, they measure sales, they measure what people buy in terms of those link dollars or double value mm-hmm. coupons that Corey was mentioning before. And that really for the first time is providing really good information about what the consumers want, how does the market need to adjust to better serve them, and not just to make assumptions like, oh, we'll set up a market, people will show up. Well, uh, and that leads to another considera- consideration, which is location, location, location. Uh, not every, you know, I would have thought that the South Shore market would do well because it's on South Shore Drive and it's at 79th. And uh, but what I understand about it, it's in a park, and there's not a lot of walk walk-in traffic there because there's not restaurants and there's not other stores in there. And you know, if you go up to Logan Square. Um, it's right in the middle of the square and you can go to breakfast and you can go buy stuff and then you can go to the market or you can do it in any order you want and you're, and it just seems to thrive and, and not have It's any, more of a social yeah, atmosphere. Right. Yeah. Um, so if you don't have that location, and, and Corey, I'll go to you. Um, uh, if you don't have that location, how do you get your market up and running so it's successful? Oh, wow. Um you guys are right that having a great location is uh, really helps give you a boost. You know, farmers markets in a new town square is where you go to socialize your, with your neighbors. Um, that's a that's a tough cookie to crack. You know, um, how else do you be successful other than um, trying to curate really great vendors 
and getting the community involved in coming to your market. Um, one of the things we try playing with, too, while working at markets on the west and south side of the city is finding organizations in the neighborhood that would like to adopt uh, a particular market. And by adopt, we mean by supporting with um, bringing people from their organization, spreading the word about it, and really feeling that uh, this market is part of their community and not just some type of outsider coming in to take up space. Uh, something you mentioned earlier I want to get back to with all three of you. And by the way, let's let's do some introductions. That's uh, Corey Chapman, uh, who is project manager at the Experimental Station, um, and uh, they are host to the 61st Street Market on Chicago's south side. In the studio, I've got Alex Polterich, uh, who's with the Urban Canopy, and uh, Liz Lyon uh, with uh, Plant Chicago and uh, handles their farmer's market in the back of the yards neighborhood. Uh, but um, something I want everybody to weigh in on, I think there's a, a, a misperception um, uh, that if you have these uh, various cards that allow folks to buy food at reduced rates and it, it enables them to go in and buy the, the the healthy food they need, and, and that's all we stress is that, you know, we've got food deserts and we need to get fresh vegetables to folks, and here's what we're going to do. We'll set it up with Link and and uh, these other programs, and guess what? The folks will come flocking in because they've they've got the access now, but they don't necessarily just because of those cards. And, Liz, you're, you're nodding about that. So what have you witnessed about in this regard? Sure. Um, so just to give a little bit of background, um, a lot of farmers markets in the city of Chicago accept the Link Card, um, which is the SNAP or former food stamp program. Um, and a lot of markets double um, SNAP dollars through the um, Link Up Illinois program, which is the program that Corey manages. Um, so he can also speak to that. Um, but yeah, just speaking from my own experience, starting the farmers market um, in Back of the Yards, which is a lower income neighborhood. Um, and accepting SNAP and doubling SNAP and accepting Senior Farmers Market Nutrition Program coupons and just thinking that once we do that and kind of put the word out there that people will come and... Because, you know, they live in food deserts and they know they, those poor people, they live in food deserts and they know it and they're just going to flock to these markets, but it's still a matter of education also. Yes, um, so that's the big gap is between education and access. Um, so we are providing the access and lots of farmers markets now are starting to actually also provide that education. So Plant Chicago, we are leading cooking demos at the local food pantries and at the DHS office, which is also something that the 61st Street Farmers Market does. Mm -hmm. So going to the places that we find where people are actually either signing up to get their link card or the food pantry where we know people need access to that good, healthy food. Um, so going directly to those people and not just putting up flyers on light poles throughout the neighborhood. So you have well, to do kind of both of those things. But you also have an advantage that you, at Plant Chicago, you got a clubhouse that has various businesses inside. So you can have people come not just to the outdoor market, but right now the indoor mm -hmm. winter market, um, and they have a place to hang out. And it is a destination. So that's that's got to be a distinct advantage for you. It is, and that's a very unique Thing. So unlike the South Shore Farmer's Market, 
um, where it's pretty much just the market in a park um, that people do visit. But um, Plant Chicago is located in the plant, which, as you mentioned, has all these different businesses. We offer tours. We offer workshops on aquaponics and a variety of things. So people are coming both from outside the neighborhood, so people who might have more um, capital to support local farmers and know the value of farmers markets already. Um, so those folks can kind of, in some terms, subsidize other people shopping at the market um, and support mm-hmm. the vendors while we're doing that education in our neighborhood and trying to get more people um, to use those other benefits. But that is a very unique um, farmers market setup. The other thing I heard uh, out of this meeting, um, and it might have been from you, Liz, and it might have been from Kaida, was that we shouldn't just assume that all farmers markets everywhere are doing great. That that there's just this constant, you know, the chart is going straight up. It's not necessarily the case, is it? Um, maybe uh, uh, Corey, do you want to comment on that? Yeah, no, that's not the case at all. In fact, the number of markets will expand and sometimes will contract a bit too. And the two major factors is that burnout, there may be that volunteer that's been running the market for years, and they're just burnt out, um, and no one else is picking up the baton. And we're losing farmers too. This is a, a field that we need to get more people involved in, and we're actually losing farmers because they're they're retiring. Um, so the the number of farmers and the number of people who run the markets, when those shrink, you tend to lose some of those smaller markets. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, and so the marginal ones are the ones that are, that are going to take the hit. That's the Green City Market is really they're not going to ever have to worry about that because they're downtown uh, or at yeah. uh, you know Lincoln Park. Um, but some that are on the margins might be um, it might be touch and go for those people, like with. The South Shore Market we had to shut down for a couple of weeks uh, in the fall. Um, yeah. it, let's let's address that particular market right now. Um, what uh, are folks doing right now to make sure that it has a, a, a good start next year? Was it- well, uh, South Shore, uh, they are grantees for two of our grants. One is the, um, the double value coupon grant, so they have money to do double value. And they also get money to support uh, – a person running the um, SNAP transactions at that market, too. Um, so those are the two things that Experimental Station uh, does to really promote that market. And so you you are going to continue to to help them get on their feet? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, which other markets have had rough time? Were any of these folks at that meeting uh, in October, Liz? Um, I think the South Shore market definitely that we know about from your previous episode. But I think, like Alex said, markets are kind of touch and go every year. So you never know um, what factors in the neighborhood and in the farmers that are Mm -hmm. willing to come to the market are going to change, especially for those newer markets and Mm -hmm. even ones that have been around for a while. So I know one, um, the Pilsen Community Market, which is actually going on today, um, they, you know, Pilsen being a changing neighborhood, they've been around for about eight years, um, but have had some changes in management and all that kind of stuff that does affect the market. Um, so it really depends from year mm-hmm. to year. Uh, even markets like the Glenwood Sunday Market or Logan Square that you think are in neighborhoods like Rogers Park or, or Logan Square, yeah. even those struggle um, in the sense that the indoor locations might change because these Winter markets don't have permanent locations 
in the winter that, again, mm-hmm. Plant Chicago and Experimental Station have some of that benefit of where there's a facility that's open and doing amazing stuff year-round. Places struggle just holding down their locations yeah. oftentimes in the winter. I, I guess the question I would ask is how do you measure the success, though? It might look successful to the person showing up and buying their vegetables, but what's the actual success factor? I think there's a lot of different metrics that, that all the organizations here use, whether it's number of shoppers that you just measure on a clicker, who's actually coming by, how many people, mm-hmm. where are they coming from. Uh, for the double bucks, when they issue those coupons and you swipe your, your link card, you actually take the, the zip code of the person using their card. So you can also sort of see where folks are coming to the market from. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, And for us, we also have to do some of that reporting for the city is how many transactions do we have, how, what were the dollars sold, um, and we measure that at our booth at all of our farmer's markets just to see how people are shopping, whether they use cash, credit cards, market coupons, um, WIC or senior coupons, link transactions, double value transactions. We try to measure all that to show the story longitudinally as well. Mm-hmm. And for success, just in the name, it's a farmer's market so you want to make sure that the farmers are um, being supported and able to continue farming because, like as Corey said, um, lots of farmers are retiring. We need more farmers. So success from the customers' end and from the farmers' end who are there to, to run their business. And well, make, that's a really good point is that, yeah, it, it has to be a success for yeah, everybody. It's or, a or, business. Yeah, yes. right, exactly. Yep. If, if your vendors are not happy – you're not going to have them, and if you don't have vendors and you don't have good choice, your customers are not going to come. And I and I do understand that it takes a while to build that up to get people used to coming to, which is part of the difficulty of the winter markets, as you point out, Alex, because some of them move around. Um, and and I and I should say at this point, we said it earlier in the show, uh, Peggy and I and Kathleen uh, have put together because we 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 found out yesterday that there really isn't a one one site for winter's farmers markets, uh, the indoor markets. And so we put it together uh, at MikeNovak.net. And if you go to uh, the home page and you click on winter farmers markets, we've got a list and we're adding to it as we go along here. We, I think we might have even added some stuff this morning. I haven't had a chance to see if Kathleen's uh, put up anything new on it. But we're going to try to make this list as comprehensive as possible. Um, and uh, that link is mikenovak.net slash winterfm.htm. Uh, and, and I just tweeted it out for you as well. Yeah, so we're, we're hoping to help. Uh, yep, and Kathleen's been on the job. She added the Pilsen uh, on there, so that's good. Uh, and the Quarry Events Center. Um, and uh, we've got a, a number of them here, so... <laughs> And if you see that your market's missing, please let us know so we can get it added right away. Yeah, uh, and the, and that makes it. But we're to, you know we're talking. That's that's one thing. The winter farmers markets can't succeed if if the summer markets don't succeed mm-hmm. because that's where the the real action is, uh, and it's in the growing season and people have that stuff to mm-hmm. to to sell. So. Um, where are we at here then? We've 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 touched on you got to you got to educate people, you get, uh, which is always I think is the hardest thing of all, um, and because we talk all this all the time on this show about different educational uh, opportunities like whether it's recycling, whether it's food composting, in this case whether it's buying healthy food. That's the hardest part, 
because you have to have some sort of communications infrastructure to get the word out. And that and the, and frankly, that's where some of these markets fall down, I think. They don't they're not working the social media as much as they should. As you somebody mentioned uh, on the program just a few minutes ago, it's not enough to just tack up a, a little sign on a post and say, "Hey, you know, we're having a farmers market." You really really have to get out there and engage the neighborhood. Um, so I'm hoping that folks will will figure that out. Uh, what what have I missed here uh, in well, this conversation? I was going to ask a little bit. Um, so you've got the Illinois Farmers Market Association, and then all the individual markets, and it goes back to us putting together a list of the winter markets, and even with the summer markets, there's there doesn't seem to be a central repository for information. So in the summer, the city of Chicago does post a full list of all the farmers markets that are happening. And in this the city year, of Chicago, in the city of Chicago, right? That doesn't include the suburban, the suburban area, exactly. Right. Yeah. And and sometimes the Trib will do that or something, but there doesn't seem to be that. As I think Peggy's making a really good point, there's not a single repository. No one because, owns it, and, right? And that yeah. and that you know, even if the Trib put something. Well, you got to go find it. You got to go search for that article. When did it come out? And what? Which ones did they include? And as as you mentioned, the city of Chicago is only going to list the ones yeah. that are in the city. And um, I was on the USDA site, which is a huge list, but it hasn't been updated. But wait, well, I believe, uh, and I hear Corey wanting to jump in here. Um, but places like uh, Local Beat uh, mm-hmm. also do. These kind, and you know, and I hadn't thought about that yesterday. They might already have a winter's farmers market. It wasn't uh, coming up on Google, but I'll check it out. Okay, well, but sometimes they do. Yeah. Corey, uh, <laughs> uh, Corey, you want to jump in? Yeah, I was just going to say that the big problem with not finding a, a, a list that's consistent and that you can rely on is the fact that most of those lists, lists are self-reported. So if you have a farmers market manager that, you know probably transition to another job and then hand off duties to the next person, they not they won't know to go to a list and update their farmer's market information. Um, so that, since it's a lot of it's self-reported, you have that problem. Oh. But I will say that the Illinois Farmer's Market Association, at least for the last two years, um, they worked really hard to put together a list of markets that confirm with them that they're actually active. Um, and then they also call markets to try to find out um, you know, are they still active? And sometimes they can get a bad phone number or a different contact. So uh, that turnover with market management um, affects uh, having a really strong list of markets to rely upon. I think another point that uh, to, to everything that's going on with this conversation is that a farmer's market list definitely helps and it needs to be updated and, and looked at and stuff like that. But it's also very indirect and passive mm-hmm. in the sense that most people that are looking for farmers markets usually have a way of finding them, but it's it's if you put up a list, you're waiting for someone to come to that list. In a lot of these communities, you have a lot of gaps, including a technology gap, that people don't have easy access to even the internet or computers or these lists that are being referred to. So, if they don't, what are you doing, Alex, to get them the information they need? Well, not just Urban Canopy, but everyone here. Is, is working at building more relationships and being more proactive and going out to churches, to block clubs, to the libraries, to the different organizations that already work in these neighborhoods that are there year-round or that have a presence that's 
sometimes decades that churches have been around Mm -hmm. and really trying to to advocate for the food issues that we're talking about and um, not just the access but the other programming that happens, the cooking demos, the really changing nature of of farmers markets. It's it's not just about farmers showing up. It's not just about vendors showing up, but it really is a, a community space where um, there's music, there's the food demos, there's sometimes face painting or art. Um, it's more of a destination that is meant to be in and of the, the community. And mm-hmm. building those relationships takes years because people do move in and out. And that uh, it takes a while just to build trust with, with people that are there and spread the word in these old school ways that um, we have folks that we just give food away to. They're like, hey, I'm on the way to church. I'm on the way to a block club meeting. And I'm like, cool, here's here's a couple of bags of produce. Hand it out and let people know that they can get that here. You actually bring up a really good point, and it relates to this radio show as well, is that it, it also depends. What day of the week do you have this thing on? Uh, on Sundays, there are a lot of people who say, oh, I'm going to be at church. Sorry. Mm-hmm. You know, because I get people tell me, oh, I can't listen to your show. Uh, you know, I'm going to be at church. Uh, and I'm like, okay, all right. So uh, it, it yeah. makes a difference uh, what day you're doing this on as well. Um, I, I work hey, I, Yes, Corey. I'm sorry. I was going to say another missing piece is the ability to raise funds for your farmer's market. Um, most markets, um, it, it, it's not a money-making venture. <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, you do. You may charge the vendor a fee for showing up to their market, but I would imagine that across the country, uh, markets they, they generate revenue of about maybe ten or fifteen percent of their revenue. Maybe as high as twenty percent comes from vendor fees. The rest of it comes from fundraising, from uh, connecting with your community, and asking for support. Um, having the capacity to do that is key as well. Mm-hmm. Well, we're we're basically out of time here. Um, I think the conclusion we've come to is it ain't easy. It's it's an ongoing process. It requires uh, commitment of a lot of people, and because there's so little money involved, um, there's volunteer work, and you have to count on your volunteers. There's organization. It's it's hard. It's it's a hard hard business. But uh, farmers have known that it's a hard business. They've known it for centuries. How hard that that business is, and and it, there's no magic. Uh, way of transferring it to the city and getting uh, this food to people. Uh, so we just have to continue mm-hmm. to educate and to organize. And, you know, and, and in this new world that we entered into a couple of weeks ago, it's going to be even harder. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, so, Liz, for your market, just kind of to wrap up, if, if folks could do one thing to help plant Chicago, what would that be? I mean, first and foremost would be to come to the farmer's market and actually purchase those fruits and vegetables from our farmers um, and also bring your friends when you do so. All right. Uh, would you say the same thing, Corey? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, bring a friend, tell a friend. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Alex, I'm going to let you have the final word. Oh, boy. No pressure. Yeah, I think everything's been said. It really takes a multi-pronged approach that uh, it's not um, – I don't think it's a, a small amount of money because the money that's spent locally with farmers or with these organizations gets turned around and spent right back with uh, hiring more people from the neighborhood, buying their supplies, buying other stuff from other Chicagoans or the region, and that money really tends to multiply – 
that every time it gets spent over and over, it really makes a huge difference. So I don't accept the premise that it's a small amount of money as it really needs to be a bigger and growing portion of spending money more locally, not just on food, but just, you know, shop small, shop locally, buy locally made stuff. But in the meantime, for farmers markets and this kind of stuff is definitely spread the word. It's a numbers game of get more people just engaged in the market and uh, the neighborhood. Uh, and I want to remind folks that the 61st Street uh, Experimental Station has their market going um, during the winter uh, as well. You can go to experimentalstation.org. But uh, I'm looking 9 to 2 p.m. Saturdays, November 7th, 14th, December 5th, 12th, 19th, January 9th, February 13th, March 12th, April 9th. Is that right, uh, Corey? That sounds about right to me. Yeah. <laughs> and, of course, Plant Chicago. Go to plantchicago.org slash farmers market. Uh, first Saturday of uh, every month from uh, 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. I'm sorry, 11. from 11 a.m. Yep. to 3 p.m. Uh, and uh, if you want more information on uh, the uh, Urban Canopy, they go to theurbancanopy.org, or you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, everywhere. It's The Urban Canopy. And these other organizations have Facebook yeah, as well. Corey, thank you so much. I'm glad we finally hooked up and you were able to, uh, to join us today. Uh, you have a, a fine Sunday, okay? Thank you, and thanks for having me. All right, take care. Thanks, Corey. And uh, Liz and Alex, thank you for coming to the studio. It was great. We're going to do this again. And thank you, Liz, for agitating for this program. She, <laughs> she was the one. She said, I listen to your show. We need to talk about this. I said, okay, we can do it. Yeah, we, well, thanks for having us. Uh, it, it, it is an absolute pleasure. We like to think of gardeners as fairly benign, perhaps even gentle people. Well, the November-December issue of Chicagoland Gardening Magazine puts that characterization to the test. My friend Gene Starr, who I also think of as a fairly benign, even gentle person, writes about people who grow carnivorous plants. You know, plants that might live in compost, but prefer to snack on living, breathing animals. In light of recent events, it does make you wonder if these plants could be grown large enough to consume presidential candidates, but <laughs> I digress. Then there's my column on the inside back page, which has been known to consume readers, but I digress again. Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, a publication of state-by-state -state gardening magazines, go to chicagolandgardening.com. But if you're in other parts of the Midwest or the South, try one of the 21 magazines in those regions by going to statebystategardening.com or call 888-265-3600, 888-265-3600. You know, this is the time when a lot of folks start to get serious about their holiday gift shopping. If you have a gardener in your life, wow, do I have a gift for you. Welcome to Happy Leaf LED. It's a commercial quality LED grow light that's designed for anybody who likes to grow anything. Lightweight, uncomplicated, no fans, no motors, just plug it in. And it's long-lasting, too, with a 50,000-hour minimum lifespan. You can use it for seed starting, but who knows what you're capable of growing under this light. This all-purpose LED with precisely tuned red and blue spectrums allows the full range of plant growth. The Direct Gardening Association has already given Happy Leaf LED their 2017 Green Thumb Award, and it's made in the USA, too. I have one myself, and I can't wait to start using it this winter. So get it for a friend, but also get it for yourself. Go to happyleafled.com for complete kits that will get you up and growing in a matter of minutes. 
Happy Leaf LED. It's about the light. Rick DeMaio weather coming up. Stick around. This is Peggy Malecki of Natural Awakenings Magazine for Chicago Wilderness. You can friend a person on social media, but how do you friend a native plant or animal that's in danger of going extinct? 12 Animals in 12 Weeks is a campaign to support critical species and their habitats in our region. There are more than a half million acres of protected nature in the Chicago area. Sadly, that's not enough to keep key plant and animal life from disappearing. Friend a critical species today. Go to chicagowilderness.org species. Looking for a housing investment that can pay big dividends? Remodel your kitchen or bathroom. You'll freshen up your home and add value to it, too. Trust DR Services Unlimited, 847-998-1687 for all your remodeling needs. Kitchens, bathrooms, master suites, and more. Rated A-plus by the Better Business Bureau and recommended on Angie's List. DR is a proud member of NARI. DR provides exceptional quality at a fair price. Contact DR at 847-998-1687 or at RestoreTheNorthShore.com. Hey, this is Peggy. When I speak at local events, people often ask me, aren't you the Peggy in the Natural Awakenings ads? And that makes me happy because it reminds me that Chicagoans want to live healthier lives. And Natural Awakenings magazine helps them do just that. Natural Awakenings, it's the greenest, healthiest magazine in the Chicago area. Each month, we bring you the latest information about health and wellness, complementary medicine, fitness and exercise, raising healthy kids, and even healthy pets. You'll find articles about healthy homes, too, including gardening, energy efficiency, and green living. And if you love good food, you'll always find tasty recipes and cooking hints. Check out our monthly calendar. It's full of events to help keep you connected. Natural Awakenings is available in more than 1,100 locations throughout Chicago and suburban Cook, Lake, and McHenry counties. And it's free. Or visit us online at nachicagonorth.com. Natural Awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more. Doesn't sound like my Thanksgiving dinner. Some of it. I found this. I was just looking. Remember I was telling you? I've waited looking and I found this thing. It's just so cool. It's just. That it's based on the he sampled this preacher who did this. Uh, she was doing the greens, bean, tomato, and uh, her name I think is Shirley Caesar, and uh, and it's just a very interesting uh, take on that. Um, and I know a guy who's getting ready for uh, Thanksgiving and um, has a lot to be grateful for, right, Rick DeMaio? Um, yeah, I could be grateful for the fact that my heat works in my house and my car seats. <laughs> Heaters are working fine. Oh, I don't even have a car seat heater. Oh, yeah, that's, that's you just like... put the butt warmer on every day now. Oh, yeah, who's 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 got a car that's fancy enough to have a butt warmer? That's what I want to know. Um, not my 1999 <laughs> Toyota Camry. No, it does not have oh, that. Oh, sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, how, how quickly things can turn, huh? My goodness, I came out there this morning, and <laughs> everything, uh, the water in my... Really 
What's, oh, is he low? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I can't tell because I'm looking at the level there, and it looks really high, so everything. You were just a little quiet there, Okay. Rick. It wasn't your fault, Rick. It was mine. Uh, okay. But, um, yeah, things, the water, there were water in a couple of containers, frozen. Um, yep. The, bird bath, frozen. Bird bath, yeah. A kale. Bird bath was frozen, yep. Kale, frozen. Hostas, yep. mush. Mush. Yep. Wow. This yeah, is... usually, usually the hostas and the kale, every all that green stuff will freeze like when it gets below about um, 28 degrees for about four hours. That's what we call a, a hard freeze. And this is the first hard freeze we've had. Uh, if you recall, last weekend was when we hit 31 degrees. You know, that was the second latest um, freeze ever. We missed the date by, by one day. Isn't that amazing? Wow. I, I, didn't, I didn't get a chance to report that to you, but that was the, the latest freeze ever for Rockford. Uh, and the second latest freeze um, for Chicago. And this is now what we determine, or what we call, or qualify rather, as a hard freeze. So four hours of uh, 28 degrees, um, and uh, I think we probably had more than four hours because it certainly felt like that way yesterday with the wind, didn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah. Although, the, you know, the the night before when I woke up and it was really blowing, it was really windy, oh, yeah. uh, and, I, and, and I realized – I thought, well, I don't have to worry about the freeze because the the winds were so strong. It probably didn't allow things to freeze, and and I was right. But last night, woo, man, yeah. it really. Yeah, last night was mm-hmm. last night was a different story. And um, you know what's amazing is the ginkgo trees. Those are usually like one of the last ones, as well as the maples, to lose their leaves. So many of them still have their leaves on the trees, and mm-hmm. clearly they're beginning to lose it very quickly today. But boy, if you can get out and about and enjoy, not so much. <laughs> the sky conditions or the weather conditions, but uh, the ground looks like, like it has like um, some sort of brightness to it or brilliance to it with the, with the ginkgos and the maples being so yellow. So, um, it, you know, it's, it's, it's cold out. It's late November, but we can still enjoy this to some degree, right? Oh, I, I'm, I'm don't have, you know, Peg, we came in here this morning and Peggy was whining about the cold and, uh, yeah. and my feeling was it's November 20th. Okay. Right. We, uh, yeah. Well, you know, Thanksgiving is Thursday. Uh, right. So and last year we had snow to deal with during this time of the year. So um, it's it's not all bad when it comes down. But we're in the Midwest, and this is what generally happens. And it could be worse. Um, you, could, you could be digging out from a foot and a half of snow and blizzard-like conditions in parts of South Dakota and Minnesota where, you know, two days prior to that they were in the 70s, and now you have, you know, lake-effect snow. Uh, and 40 mile an hour winds downwind of both Lake Erie and Lake um, uh, and Lake Ontario. What's interesting is I was looking at a couple of reports. The, the lakes are still almost near 60 degrees. So right along the shoreline, even though the snow is falling, uh, it's not falling hard enough, and they're actually getting some melting due to the warm ground, which is kind of unusual because typically this time of year you can get your big lake effect snows in November, uh, but it just it just hasn't worked out where they're getting. You know, big snows. So even even the ground temperatures or the soil temperature is still uh, pretty warm. And and real quickly before we get on to the topic, um, the four inch soil temperature at the Botanic Garden is still 50 degrees. So mm. if you have any mulch out or um, you know some of your plant beddings may be frozen, maybe the first inch, you get down about four inches, and and they're still probably needing a little bit of water to get through the next couple of days. So you can go out and do that. Uh, yeah, 
it's uh, and especially You're since no, I'm I'm inside. I'm <laughs> no, no, no. I I agree because I, I was looking at the t- you know the temperatures that uh, we're planning to have today. It's going to be above freezing, and there will right. be there will be more above freezing days. So there will be an op- oh, yeah. you know there's still plenty of opportunity to uh, for instance, if you wanted to plant some garlic, you could do that. Uh, that was our tip from uh brianne heath who was on the show and she said wait till it gets cold wait till we get that, really? that okay. co- mm-hmm. yeah she said what happens is if you plant it when it's 60 degrees outside 70 degrees the the plant wants to grow and it's starting to send up leaves she said do it when at a point where it's too cold for it to send up leaves so that all the energy goes into roots uh, root, mm, root, root growth, yeah. Uh, and this is the time of year you plant garlic, and a lot of people did it a month ago. Well, some of that mm. garlic started to send up leaves, and now it's got to take the energy. That's going to die back. And, right. you know, mm-hmm. it's. Uh, it, and she says it's better if you just let all that energy go into root development. So that was got her it. tip. Yeah, I've got two large elephant garlics and a small one, smaller garlic. Oh, wow. That I'm going to be putting in probably next weekend was just a touch warmer. <laughs> Well, our, you know, where 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 are we with that? We have this cold today. Is it, it here to mm-hmm. stay, or is uh, it's just it's going to waver a little bit? No, the pattern has definitely um, has definitely shifted. This is something um, I was talking about for the last couple of weeks. Was that third week of November seemed to be when everything was beginning to shift? Um, and even though there's going to be, you know, a couple of storm systems that come through here, um, what's what's happening now, Mike and Peg is. These big areas of low pressure that were that were driving from the Pacific Northwest into the northern Rockies, north of the Great Lakes, and into essentially eastern sections of Canada, have now begun to move far enough east where they're moving into just around the Canadian Maritimes. And what happens is when you get these systems begin to link up with the oceans, that's when you start to develop these large areas of low pressure. Uh, that are essentially now along the Canadian Maritimes, and they're hugging the coast. And what's important about that is when that occurs, it begins to set up now a huge area of low pressure over the northeast part of Canada and the northeast sections of the United States. And when it links up with the oceans, it becomes stationary, and then now that begins to pull in the cold air over the eastern Great Lakes. So as before, all the cold air was kind of bottled up west of the Great Lakes, now the cold air becomes pushed into the eastern Great Lakes, and that generally shifts the pattern um, east of Chicago. So this is what's called the full-length continental trough, which means that all the storm systems now beginning to develop are going to be literally digging and amplifying over the Great Lakes. So essentially that ends the period of mild weather, and it begins the process of getting into what we call now more typical late fall, uh, early winter pattern. Uh, I uh, am not excited about that, but you know we're going to live with it. <laughs> but but you know uh, I still see I keep I keep seeing those headlines. Uh, this is and this is something new. I've not seen this before. Uh, the, uh, if there's every now and then journalism gets uh, a bee in its bonnet and they they want to report things in a different way, and the, you, you take this. It's because. They get tired of saying the same thing over and over again. It's not right. like anything has changed, but the headlines I'm seeing now are expect 50 inches of snow this winter. I don't remember. Yeah, I, know. I don't remember, Rick, <laughs> that, that that's the way it used to get reported. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, you, you feel the same way as I do, which is, 
Yeah. You know, that, why don't they put in the headline, expect a normal winter, batten the hatches. I know, I know, I know, because it's, it's boring that way. I know, I know. Remember, you know, I've worked in, you know, TV for 16 years, and I used to, I used to not so much battle, but, you know, conference producers all the time. And oftentimes they, they, they hated me because I was always the one that was correcting them on stuff. And they would be like, well, why can't I just do this? And their famous question that they'll rely on is if this was snow, you know, we got like, say, three inches of rain. If this was snow, how much would we get? <laughs> and I would say, but, but you can't do that. The atmosphere can't hold the moisture at, at, at that temperature. And they go, but, but yeah, but if, if we say it's one inch of, of rain and it's a foot of snow, we can do that now, right? I'm like, but you can't. They go, but that's the conversion, right? I'm like, no, it's not. And I would get back and forth with this. And after a while, they would see me walk up to them, and they would almost cringe because I would be the one that would correct them on those mm-hmm. things. I don't like to do that. But, you know, me, I just want, I just want science to be science. Well, they, so, you know, uh, it, it's, it's part of the deal. Oh, science, science, science. Go ahead, Well, I was just going to say, I think it's they're more interested now in coming up to you and saying, is this winter storm Argo? Is this winter storm Blanche? Is it? Is it? Right, right. I like Blanche. That's a good one. That's the next one. Argo <laughs> I, already I came through. I never heard of winter storm Blanche. I think that would be a good one. But, yeah, this last one uh, was winter storm Argo. And you know what? Uh, as, as much as we, I know Argo, like the movie Argo. Yeah, but you know uh, the pro- as, the problem with that, much, Rick. The problem the problem with it is that it's not science. Okay, it's not science. <laughs> oh, we you got know, some wacky it's names not science, too. I agree, um, but I think there there's there's something to the name of a storm that, as, as much as we don't like to talk about um, some of these geeky things with science, is that. When you have social science connected to science, um, you begin to have to expect that. So when people go back and they go, you know what, I remember winter storm Juno. I go, really? They go, yeah, that was a storm that gave New York 30 inches of snow. So the fact that they were able to attach a name to it was okay. The problem with the naming is that now you have to have just about every winter storm have a name to it. And then you have to have someone there who is going to decide on whether or not it has the, the, the possibility of having a name. So you get into this, you know, it's not like you have a hurricane where every hurricane is essentially something that's above 75 miles an hour. There still is not that quantitative definition of what is a winter storm with a name. So I think that part, I think, leaves a lot to be desired. But, yeah, if it's a blizzard or if it's 12 inches of snow, give it a name. But I think the Weather Channel did some good, and yet they also did some not so good. I'll, I'll leave it like that. I'll be gentlemanly about it. <laughs> well, uh, and the names are really wacky this year. Yeah, well, I, I'm, I, I wouldn't know because I'm not paying I, attention, I, okay? I don't even know, Peg. What is the, what is the letter D? I don't even know. If you, have, if you have a list. The letter D? No, no, letter B. Blanche. Blanche. It is Blanche. We have Argos, Blanche, Kaylee, Decima, Europa, oh my God. Fortis, Gregory. <laughs> I think yeah, I think we've already had a Europa, a Blanche. That's Blanche? an interesting one. Europa because, is you know, you can... is a satellite of <laughs> Jupiter, yeah. I believe. Okay. We have uh, the know, Q is Quid, um, Tropical uh, Winter Storm Quid. Quid. What the heck? Are, are they drunk? Are they drunk <laughs> over at the Weather Channel? Yeah, What's going on over I there? I don't know. I don't know. 
All uh, right. But speaking of the Weather, weather Channel, and you mentioned the word satellite. Yes, um, you geeked right out. Now, at you you I, sent us think, that stuff. What, what's that? Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to say I thought you were going to talk about the, the Goes R series. Uh, Noah's yeah. Next... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Because right now on the Weather Channel is a show called Weather Geeks, um, and it, um, it's um, uh, moderated by uh, Marshall Shepard, who was the past president of the American Meteorological Society. And on the show, which I believe is, is going on at this moment at 11 a.m., um, or you know what, it may have been on already, I'm not sure, but you can always go back to the Weather Channel and look for it. Uh, but the person they're interviewing um, is not only a friend of mine and not only a colleague of mine, but a classmate of mine uh, for two years. His name is Tim Smith, or Tim Schmidt, rather. And Tim and I both got to the University of Wisconsin in 1983. We went through the program together. He stayed on, got his master's, uh, worked with the space science and engineering program, and literally for the last eight years has been working on the GOES-R satellite, and he is actually the person who uh, Marshall Shepard is interviewing today about the successful, and that's important to note, the successful launch of GOES-R yesterday afternoon. Uh, and Mike and Peg, this is going to provide us with some of the more fantastic and quantitative um, satellite information we've probably seen in about, I would say, 10 years. Um, we're going to be able to now look at not so much five-minute loops, but literally one-minute loops of thunderstorms and hurricanes and the possibility of, of identifying storms that could become tornadic, um, wildfires, um, ocean sediment, all these different things that we've never done before. It's going to be about a four- to five- or six-month process where what we call the baseline information is then pushed out into uh, the operational environment, and then you'll see that um, uh, basically on your on your TV sets, hopefully in about six months. I've been looking at a lot of this from the University of Wisconsin satellite blog, and I think I've shared some of this with you. Uh, it, it'll absolutely blow your mind. It's literally like going from a rotary phone uh, to a smartphone overnight. Wow. Um, so this is, this is really exciting because I know Tim really well. I saw him at the AMS conference um, two years ago, and the first thing I said is, how's everything going? He goes, it's going, which usually means that you're doing so much work that your whole entire life um, is based on not only the development of the satellite. There's actually three parts. There's the development. There's the successful launch, because how many times have we seen some of these things go up and they blow up? <laughs> and then you literally see eight years of work um, mm -hmm. dissipate on the launch pad. And then it has to get up there, take the information, um, you have to assimilate the data, and then push it into what we call the operational environment. So there's a lot more to that than just developing something on the ground. You're actually developing something that is going to be in space, and it has to wobble at the right orbit. Um, and it really is a, a lot of work, but, man, when you get that thing up and going, uh, there's nothing but fulfillment out of that. And, uh, it, it's pretty cool stuff. So if anybody gets a chance to look at the Weather Channel called Weather Geeks, uh, goes our satellite. There's a lot of there's a lot there's a lot of cool stuff that that we're going to see, particularly from an agricultural standpoint as well. It's really exciting stuff. That, that is great stuff. Um, but very quickly, one of the things that sure. happened this week uh, is there was a story in the Washington Post and I guess uh, elsewhere about how. The North Pole area was 36 degrees warmer than it's supposed to be. Um, yeah, I what's, saw that. <laughs> what's that all about? 
Yeah, well, you know what? That's just, you know, the little pocket of warm air that was over the northern section of the United States and Greenland. Um, yeah, and it pushed northward. Um, it has since dissipated, but, uh, yeah, you know, 36 degrees above normal, I think, would put the temperature somewhere around probably 25 or 30 degrees Fahrenheit, because normally now the, the North Pole is pretty much close to below zero or, or close to that. I didn't see the actual temperatures. Uh, but, yeah, this is this is what we've been, been seeing more so in, in these late um, late fall patterns. You get these blobs of warm air that continue to migrate in certain parts of the world, and if the pattern remains stationary for a long period of time, which is what our pattern has been, you end up with these large bubbles of warm air. Um, that since has now gone, and that will usually be the case once the pattern becomes more progressive. Um, it's, it's obviously something that is of concern, and it was, it was nice to see Senator Bernie Sanders on Meet the Press this morning um, bringing up the term climate change and that we still have to be thinking about it. So hopefully that part of the, um, the Democratic wing will not forget about that because uh, usually those things are, are kind of done and buried after an election, and it's not like it was alive and well before the election, was it? Uh, no, you know, I, I was going to say when you say Bernie's bringing that up, it's like uh, Bernie only a week and a half too late. But uh, other than that, that's great. Yeah, yeah, I know. He was he was his old spunky self, and I don't know if you got a chance to see um, Saturday Live last night, but I think they're already having fun with the uh, with the Trump campaign, and, and I and I hope they continue to do that. It's, it's probably only probably the only way we could really, you know, fight it from a. From from a comedic standpoint, but but clearly clearly, you know, we have to keep the ground running. And um, uh, when I when I get back to um, school this week, Mike, we'll be talking again with my students about how their projects are going to go forward. And I and I promise you, we'll, we'll get we'll get a couple of them on your show uh, before the semester ends. Great, we we do want to do that. I want to follow through on that and uh, uh, love love that idea. Okay, give us a forecast. All right. So a um, little bit of uh, mixture of sun and clouds today. 38 will do it for a high. Um, close to 40 in some areas. Normal high for this time of year is now down to 46. Uh, not a bad day tomorrow. Sun, sun in the morning, two clouds in the afternoon. 40 for a high tomorrow. Rain expected on Tuesday. Um, actually, rain expected Tuesday night. Uh, light rain on Wednesday. So 40 to 45 on Tuesday, 40 to 45 on Wednesday. Thanksgiving looks good, sunshine, cool weather, 40 to 45 for a high, and then probably more rain expected on um, Friday for what we call Black Friday. Uh, there is a little bit of chance of some rain that's with snow late next Saturday and into Sunday. Uh, right now that chance is probably less than 30%, uh, but we are trending into that scenario now where every storm system that comes through gets a little bit colder and gets a little bit closer to a rain-snow line. So uh, that's typical for this time of the year. But right now, um, nothing in the way of any Arctic cold and nothing in the way of any big snows. But uh, we did finish up a remarkable week, Mike, where we were 72 degrees on Thursday, uh, two degrees shy of the record of 74. The latest ever 70-degree temperature in Chicago, November 21st. So clearly no more 70s around here for quite some time. So hey, hello to Say goodbye to September and November, I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah. Uh, and you said rain on a uh, on Tuesday comes later in the day, I hope? Yeah, it looks like more so Tuesday night. Okay. Uh, but Wednesday looks like, like a wet day, but not a bad thing. Just, you know, often on light showers. Anybody doing any traveling, 
next Wednesday before Thanksgiving, they should be fine. But when we talk next Sunday, we could be talking about a little bit of snow across the area. Because uh, this is the week I start the caroling in earnest outside. Yeah, I know, I know. Next, Bundle up. Next weekend. So, uh, okay. I just I just wanted to know. So, uh, okay, thanks. Uh, Rick DeMaio, a meteorologist. Thank you so much, buddy. Uh, happy Thanksgiving to you. Yeah, happy Thanksgiving to you and your listeners, Mike, and we'll talk next Sunday. You bet you. Take care now. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Well, here's, you know, the thing I played earlier. Let's get this here. I got beans, greens, potatoes, tomatoes, lamb, ranch, raw, raw, beans, greens, potatoes, tomatoes, chicken, 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 and uh, I'm an idiot, and I will say that publicly, because uh, Kathleen wrote, uh, she loved the bump of Shirley Caesar remix, thought you might like to know that Caesar's not just a preacher, she's a singer who has won 11 Grammy Awards. <laughs> okay. You know what? I am an idiot. And this, of course, is a mix of that, and I don't even know the artist who did it. I found this on, on the UN tube, um, and... Uh, and I and I and I and I had to do that because it was just uh, very fun. Uh, so my apologies for not knowing who Pastor Shirley Caesar is. Um, that's you know, there's a lot of things I don't know. That's just that's just uh, one of them. Because there's two things I want to play. One of them is this. As God is my witness, I thought turkeys could fly. And the other one is that. All right, thanks to everybody on the show today. Oh, you got the cheat sheet there? I got the cheat sheet. Yeah, Mike McDonald and his book, My Journey into the Wilds of Chicago. Elizabeth Lyon from Plant Chicago's Farmer's Market. Alex Polterick from the Urban Canopy. Corey Chapman from the Experimental Station and their uh, Farmer's Market. Of course, Rick DeMaio. And everybody who listened, we really appreciate how you contribute in any way. Go green or go home. Uh, Stadler? Uh, what? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much.